1: ggtmc we are on the air on this uh fun spring weekend and uh let's give a shout out to our whorehound people who are at whorehound this weekend uh didn't get to make it this year for the first one of the year so i just want to say hello to everybody there and sorry i couldn't make it too busy things go that way yeah
2: and uh as i've been talking about every week i've been busy as well Throws a house hunting so and i don't usually do march anyway it's what a year for this uh, fellow North of the Border. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I wanted to give a, a big shout-out to Heather Seabach, um, who made the trek from Maryland to her first one. And hopefully she'll make more, because I, I think Heather's uh, one of the coolest dames in the community. And uh, she she was braving, like, snowstorms and <laughs> cell phone batteries kicking out and yeah. all sorts of stuff to get there. So. Yeah.
1: I was hoping to meet her uh, yeah. this March, but um, sadly, not in the cards, so to speak. Yeah. Well, this-
2: as we know, speaking of cards, Loaf is Remy LeBeau. Or-
1: yeah. <laughs> if you got ice on your windows, Yeah. Dar boy. <laughs> you can do the Sammy way, man. I'm, I'm, I'm a streamer, <laughs> yeah, to, that's to, right. to use a modern term. It's a Ghostbuster. All right, so we are back, and this week we are sponsored by Diabolic DVD. Uh, It was my turn to uh, program, so I took the opportunity. uh, Todd, good friend of the show, great friend of the show, Todd, master reviewer for the blog, uh, had a pick for his uh, Toys for Tots, so we kind of coincided the two, and his uh, pick was Camille 2000 from 1969, the uh, debut debut from, uh, from uh, Radley Metzger on the show. Uh, 1969, like I said, uh, one of those great years to say and giggle like a child. Yeah. And uh, the other film we are reviewing is from uh, the magical year of 1987 again. And uh, that's uh, John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness on Blu-ray. A little Carpenter, a little Metzger, and a little conversation for you all. Now... I don't know if I even mentioned that I'm Sam Ryan, of course, reporter from a good pal okay, Big But I guess I assume at this point at 280 episodes and plus more that you might know that. I guess that's a bad assumption. Who knows? This might be your first episode, but good morning to you guys who, if if it is. But uh, we wanted to announce that we did meet our goal. Yeah. For our DVD release of uh, of um, uh, the final score, Everzal's final score. Hang, on, I got a little a little bit of this. Here we go. A little of that in background there. Well, yeah, we, the community stepped up and put it together, and I'm very excited about this release. And, uh, don't have a release date exactly yet, but, um, man, I am super happy that everybody was able to uh, contribute. Yeah, man.
2: So many people worked so hard behind the scenes, uh, contributing, you know, doubling down on the contributions. It was a worldwide communal thing, and, uh, it, it happened Friday, man. Friday was one of those days. It was crazy. I was at work, so I was able to sort of stay on the computer as it was happening.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And man, it was just watching that number go. I, I don't know if we had like five or six hundred bucks or euros before like, on the start of Friday, but everyone just kept, you know, it was going bananas and throwing down for more. And uh, man, when we passed that goal like around seven o'clock Eastern Standard Time, something like that. No, it might have been sooner now. But man, it was a good feeling. And yeah, big ups to everyone because it goes to show that, you know, we're blessed to be part of such a a wonderful, involved community.
1: Yep, yep, it is. And we're very excited. I don't know the exact release date and everything yet. We got to work all those particulars out. But uh, hopefully, this is just one of many that we get to do with this and uh, have a good time doing it. And just like cooling the gang. Yeah, over here dancing and shit. We got our uh, horn section getting down. They're choreographed here. Oh yeah! <laughs> if you got if you got a horn section, you got to choreograph that section. You know what I mean?
0: Absolutely, man. <laughs> yeah. You got to
2: choreograph the section like they choreograph their outfits. <laughs>
1: yes, indeed. <laughs> I got to say, in this video, man, the bass player is really getting down. I mean, it, there's, yeah. there's, there's no doubt about
2: it. He's feeling it, man.
1: Oh, all right. right. We'll cut down the cool in the gang. Like I said, thanks, everybody. And I know Martin's happy, and and we're very happy. And it's going to be awesome. And also, uh, we should go ahead and mention that we uh, have been approached. I mean, because it's been announced on Facebook now that uh, we also have been approached to uh, potentially, at least we'll say potentially now because you never know how editing goes, uh, to actually be in a a documentary film. We can say that, I don't think, can't we? Yeah. 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 So... Be on the lookout for that. Uh, what was the name of the thing again? I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head.
2: Um, I know it was our good
1: friend Jeff of Daily Grand House fame, who stepped
2: away from the, the Mike left good uh, good friend Joe Cosby in charge of uh, of it. Uh, beards, gosh. Beards and are, Badasses? I believe it's saying like Beards and Badasses. Anyway, what the, the documentary is about really is the de- democratization of um, – Film review in the modern age and how that's come to be, and you know, we're honored enough to uh, to be asked to be included in that. Man, that's a big thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is, and uh, we're we're very happy to be a part of it and uh, looking forward to it. Hopefully Look at that, man!
2: Like within a week for us to be asked to be in a documentary, to have be co putting out a film that we're going to be having a commentary track. When we started this thing, like you know, we couldn't have imagined that.
1: I, I never could have imagined it, so I'm very happy, and uh, it's you know something that I'm very proud of, the yeah. being a part of the show and being a part of the community and stuff, and uh, you know, underground is a interesting word nowadays, but because uh, I think the underground has become more and more a part of the 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 mainstream in a lot of ways, and I think it's only going to grow more and more. So, you know what else it means? Yeah, what was that mean? That was say- too legit to quit. Yeah, <laughs> too legit. I mean, I'm. Uh-huh. You know,
2: <laughs> hey, did you ever end up seeing that guitar photo I posted of you in the Indiegogo thread?
1: Uh, yeah, I think I did.
2: Yeah.
1: I was just looking at uh, our, our name generators for uh, Italian cannibal movie directors, and I saw you were Aaron Gravel Santos. That's right, man. and uh, me—I'm Ulysses Murison. Which is, <laughs> both of those do sound like pseudonyms for a, you know who's ever trying to hide behind the fact that they're committing animal cruelty.
2: Oh yeah, well I see one in here. Uh, not to divulge, not to digest too much. Joshua Davis got Alfard cabbage. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh, I
1: Jeez. love it! I love it. Just you know, if you're a fan of that stuff, it's just so great. I had to click on it again just to see what else would come up. Ignacio Campos.
2: Sounds Sounds like the greatest Filipino filmmaker that ever lived.
1: That sounds like it could be Joe uh, Ignatius Cosby's uh, uh, pseudonym right there from (laughs) Grindhouse. All right, so what have you been watching this week, buddy?
2: Um, Well, I told you off the air. I made a deal with my wife. She didn't want to clean the hamster cage this week. She was willing to give up the farm for me to do it. She said That that
1: sweet urinal cedar smell. Yeah, that's right, man. That's right.
2: It's, uh, it's, uh, they should make that a, a carf air freshener. into uh, yeah. A pine tree. Only uh, yeah. smells
1: slightly better than athletic bunghole. Yeah,
2: that's right, man. <laughs> yeah. Slightly. Um, but it's, uh, she goes, listen, just do it, please. And I'll give you – she said I'll give you the next three movies. And I'm like, yeah, right. So then I said, give me two weeks. I figured I'd, I'd throw it out there. And she goes, deal. So before she could change her mind, I shook her hand and I started cleaning the cage. So I got a few extra days in, and I took the opportunity to start cleaning off the PVR. First from I watched was Wait Until Dark. It's um, an Alan Arkin, uh, Richard Crenna, Audrey Hepburn joint, mm. um, directed by the guy that did the first few Bond films, I believe. Um, fuck, I can't remember his name now. But anyway. Oh God, uh, Hamil- guy
1: Hamilton, maybe? Uh, maybe
2: Guy Hamilton, maybe, yeah. Anyway. Uh, now, Ham- I can, Bur- now I
1: can't remember, and I'm going to look while you're talking.
2: Yeah, I can't. Uh, I can't say I'm a fan of Audrey Hepburn in any way, shape, or form. I think she's far too sort of precocious America's sweetheart for my liking. Yeah, yeah. You no. Know, give me, give me Natalie Wood any day. Oh, Terrence Young.
1: Terrence Young. Terrence no. Young. There it is. Did Cape Fear and stuff? I think. Yeah. I think he did Cape Fear. Yeah.
2: yeah. But uh, this one, I'll tell you, it's she plays a blind woman in a New York apartment, uh, and some some criminals are terrorizing her. And this was a stage play. This is a good little film. It's sleazy and Alan Arkin. Just crushes it in this film he's such a scumbag and uh, it's so crazy to see him young uh, but it's it's a good one man it's it's not like an amazing film and Hepburn I think is a little over the top but
1: uh yeah, yeah. I mean she's an old school Hollywood actress uh i I'm indifferent on her I, I you know she I' never really thought she was a great actress uh interesting to look at but not a great actress but uh yeah that's a very popular um, i think it's a play that you play on actually mm-hmm should say that uh, he didn't direct uh, Jesus, I can't believe we don't know more about Terrence Young. I mean, he didn't direct uh, Cape Fear It Doesn't Look Like, but he did do like three or four um, uh, Bronson films in a row. Oh, three. wow. Yeah, Cold Sweat, Red Sun, Veloci Papers. Oh, wow. Well,
2: that's the way it goes, man. Yeah. The old green matter, can't retain it all.
1: No, I can't. For Much for Love and Dr. No, though. So, yeah, you are right. Yeah.
2: So, anyway, that's a good little film. Um, then I decided to do a slasher that somehow had always eluded me, man. And I decided to do House on Sorority Row.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've seen this once. Man, I'll tell
2: you what. This is one of the better examples um, of the genre. Yeah.
1: yeah it's I pretty, pretty really
2: fun. was pleasantly surprised with this one. Mark Rosman directed it. Um, this just had a Blu-ray release, I think, somewhat recently. But... Uh, Rosman, if memory serves correctly from what I read about him, because I was like, man, this guy's got some talent. Um, He worked with De Palma, and it's evident in this. And I think one of the reasons I like this film so much is, uh, in some ways, it has sort of Jali-esque flares. It's it's stylish. For an 80s uh, slasher, it doesn't feel lazy or... I mean, the template's there, but he bends the template just enough that it feels a bit fresher,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: you know. Um, I quite liked it. You know, it was a very pleasant surprise for me. Um, then another one off the PVR that I'd meant to see for years, The Magnificent Ambersons. Oh, yes. Good film, man. It, it feels a bit disjointed, and I know this film had a lot of problems behind the scenes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know how much of that is is a byproduct of, of this film's uh, being like that as a byproduct of its...
1: Yeah, forty five minutes removed, evidently. So
2: yeah, so that could be part of it. Um, you know, uh, it's tough to say. Joseph Cotton, I think, in all the maybe the five six films I've seen him in, I think he's one of the the best actors that. I mean, people give him credit, but I feel like he's really really something exceptional. And I, I don't think when he's when the greats of the time are talked about, he gets mentioned enough. Because he's, he's just killed it in anything I've seen him in.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, he's always good. He is he is always good. And it is weird that his career, he is a seminal part of American cinema. And it's very strange that uh, he's not always mentioned.
2: That's right, man. And he should be because he is fantastic.
1: Um, he made some real stinkers toward the end of his career, though. and <laughs> he, he, was, he was chasing that paper,
2: man. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it happens. Wow, but, man, uh, I'm looking at Mark Rosman's career. What a career. Starts out with the house on sorority row and then pretty much goes... Into Disney, yeah. into Disney movies. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, that's very cool. Very cool. Still working. Sh- Still working. It's too bad he didn't uh, stick around. But mm-hmm. um, I'll tell you, man, uh, Amberson's the son in the Ambersons. Tim Holt, what a motherfucker he is. <laughs> yeah, <The> worst man. <laughs> yeah. The worst. Uh. <laughs> uh, uh, then I did uh, Mickey's House of Villains, which was Braden's choice on Netflix, and this is more like a cobbled together kind of halloween anthology of um, I don't know, seven or eight different Disney shorts Yeah, uh, that are kind of wrapped together with this f- footage cut in of all the Disney villains at uh, a, like a theater
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, you know plotting and scheming. It's okay. It's got some older cartoons with Mickey and uh, Donald and Goofy as like ghost hunters and stuff from the 40s. It, it's it's decent enough but you know it didn't set my world on fire. Um Then I decided to get into the wonderful world of Hideo Gosha and watch Violent Streets. Uh, I like Gosha's output. Um, This film is no exception. It's stylish. It's very fucking violent. Mm. And there's an amazing uh, tranny assassin in this film that just cuts motherfuckers up.
1: (laughs) Um, Sounds like Italian cinema almost.
2: Yeah. Well, that's why I love the two because they. um, I got into a real kind of the last three films I watched this week, were very much comfort food for me. This being one of them, it's you know, it's a Yakuza film, um, which you know we always talk about Japan and and Italy uh, being kind of the two that cater to our needs, you know, in terms of high art and yeah, low art. Uh, yeah, quite nicely, you know, uh, Noboru Ando's in it. It's it's got a good uh, a good cast of sort of uh, familiar to semi-familiar faces uh, in Japanese film. Um, so yeah, Ghosh is a good one, man. If you haven't seen his film, stay in. Uh, then I decided to fast forward to the mid-90s and do Broken Bars, which uh, is a Wings Hauser joint. And Wings-Hou- what this film's about, basically, is uh, it's about a cop uh, who has to go undercover in a prison to smash up a deadly heroin ring, which also turns out to be part of a, an underground deathmatch ring. It sure does of course of course it does. joe estevez is is the good one of the good cops on the outside so you kind of
1: you kind of know what kind of film you're getting into when joe estevez <laughs> pops up right
2: absolutely uh, joe estevez and it, donald gibb of course if you don't know his name you know his face he's
1: <laughs> nerves
2: yeah. he plays he plays like the big uh, prison guard
1: one of the missing gibb brothers
2: <laughs> one of the missing yeah exactly one of the missing gibb brothers uh, ben Maccabee plays the, the stoic ponytail. Oh, our hero's got a ponytail and duck lips. Um, Wingshauser has peroxide blonde hair. Hey, man, ben,
1: the, ben Maccabee liked my post about uh, Beautiful Darling. No. Yeah, yeah. I'm friends with him on Facebook and he dug my post of Beautiful Darling. Oh, man. That's amazing. Yeah,
2: Maccabee's still working and his look has changed. Um,
1: yeah, quite a bit.
2: He's an Israeli actor. Good looking guy. Um, you know, uh, had, you know, had a you know bit of a run, uh, you know, in the 90s. I think he was born 10 years too late.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah I agree with that. Because he
2: really could have gotten into some stuff uh, at the height of the action era. But, you know, good-looking guy and likable enough, but a little bit vanilla. They don't he, much,
1: but- he reminds me of that guy a little bit. Uh, what's that guy's name? It was in all those cyborg futuristic pictures uh, that we always talk about in the 90s. Oh, man, I can't Robert remember his name. Brunner. Huh? A gruner. No, not Gruner. It's somebody else. Jesus, I can't remember. Just go ahead and keep talking. I'll try.
2: Oh, uh, Joe, uh, Joe Lara? No.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little bit of
2: Lara. The I mean, long you're... hair. It's the long hair for sure. Yeah,
1: it's the long hair thing. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely,
2: but I'll tell you, man. Wings and this—this this has become one of my favorite wings performances. The film is average. It's—it's. It's, yeah. It doesn't go quite go over the top, but. Uh, did you say hang on? No, 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 no. I was... okay. Wings in this one, man. He plays the Wicked Warden, and he's got peroxide blonde hair. And he decided, I guess, with this film that he was going to do a slightly effeminate southern accent the whole film. Nice. So uh, A little so st- ama-
1: Strother Martin maybe a little? Yeah, yeah.
2: And he's got this, like, riding crop that he sometimes licks, and he runs across, like, the chest of some of the shirtless inmates. <laughs> and. It's uh, when I was watching, I had to laugh because when sometimes when I watch films, I think of how you would, how you and I would kind of talk about it. But
1: yeah, it's, it's
2: worth a watch. It's not great, but it's uh, it's 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 solid if you're in for sort of you know mid '90s B grade uh, action.
1: Yeah, Wings is always, always always delivers, man. Always fucking postman. <laughs>
2: yeah. um, and then I finished the week off with uh, again very much a sweet spot, comfort food kind of film, Stelvio Masi's Fearless Fuzz.
1: I've never seen this one so.
2: Well, surprisingly, I had not,
1: and I've, I've I've been trying, you know, I'm always looking
2: for new Eurocrime films that I've not seen. Mm-hmm. and uh,
1: great title.
2: you this fuzz is a fantastic title, and this has someone that my
1: <laughs> sounds like
2: my sounds like my nickname during my teenage years. Yeah, that's right, man. <laughs> uh, this uh, this has the guy that've I've been in, sort of very vocal about my lukewarm feelings toward him, and that's Maurizio <laughs> Merli. And uh, he plays the fox, Wally Spada, in this. And uh, it's, uh, it's crazy. This film feels almost like some of the breezy DeLeo films like, um, what's that one? Nick the Sting, I think. And
1: Oh, yeah, Nick the Sting. Yeah, that's a good Nick one. The Sting.
2: And uh, the one, there's one with Ursula Andrus and Woody Strode that's really good that he also did. Um, I can't remember what it's called, though. it's a fun little one, but very breezy and sort of comedic. But this one, I, 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 this is probably my first or second favorite Merrily role now. Oh, nice. Because he's not like Robocop in this one. He's actually funny. Like, if you look over at Silver and Gold, I posted a few screenshots. He wears denim overalls for the first half of the film. <laughs> um, it's, it's just, it's funny. its uh, He's lively in this. He's got, he's got character. He's not yeah. just kind of slapping dudes on the side of the road and getting chewed out by the uh, commissioner. Um, <laughs> so he's good. Joan Collins gets naked. She does a fucking strip tease in the film.
1: Yeah
2: um right. uh, werner pokath who's a great uh german uh german or austrian um he played a villain in a lot of italian films he shows up massimo vanni one of my favorites is in it uh gaston moschin plays uh uh an accomplice of sorts to merrily's it's a, it's a fun film man i really dug it Like a, you know probably like a seven and a half um nice good you know uh, yeah, it was, I had to it was cover good. it,
1: cover someday then, because I've never seen it. So yeah, yeah, it
2: was fun. Got a good soundtrack. So yeah, I'd be Who'd, down to cover it.
1: Man. Who did the soundtrack? do You know which? uh that's a good question.
2: To give me about five seconds. I can tell you because I'm in front of the uh, the IMDb right now. Uh, oh, it was uh, Cipriani, man.
1: Oh, there, I, there. You know what? That was going to be my second guess. I was going to guess uh, Cipriani, because uh, you know he just well he just passed out too long ago. So.
2: I always mix up Cipriani and Masi because they're both Stelvios.
1: Yeah, they're both Stelvios, yeah. The two Stelvios. Yeah, my wife's been wanting to get a, you know, uh, when we get another dog at some point in time, she's been asking me about names and stuff, and I've been picking, like, you know, names like that, but Stelvio was one of the ones I picked. She's like, how how are we going to name a dog Stelvio? I was like, why wouldn't we?
2: That's right, man. (laughs)
1: That's right. But, uh,
2: yeah, that was my week.
1: Nice, nice. Good week. I had a good week, too. A lot of movie watching this week for me. Again, a lot of extra time, and... Somehow managed to cram some jama, but uh, started the week with uh, The Summit, which is a documentary about uh, Kilimanjaro and a mountain climbing expedition, I think, in 2009 that went horribly wrong uh, for some, sadly. Uh, I have a big uh, fascination with mountain climbing films, uh, basically because I think mountain climbing is very interesting, something I wouldn't do, yeah. but uh, I find it very interesting that people... I can't remember who it was that ever said it, but uh, somebody. There's always this great saying: this why would you climb that mountain?" And you know, somebody once said that you know because it's there. You know, mm-hmm. what I mean, I, and I always love that attitude. You know, that attitude of you know I don't have to climb this. I'm risking my life, but I want to do this. That's right. Uh, a little braver than me. Uh, well, actually, I should say a lot braver than me. But. Uh, <laughs> Uh, either either way, it's a very very good documentary. Highly recommended. It's on Netflix Instant. So oh
2: nice man.
1: Yeah, so definitely check it out. It's gorgeous too. As uh, what year is it? Uh, uh, 2012, I think. Actually, so I think it really only got a release like this year. Anyway, I'm kind of counting it right now for my you know top thirty next year. So it's one of the best films I've seen so far in cool. in this very young uh, year of twenty fourteen. So because I don't think it had a standard release, but it won some uh, festival stuff and. And uh, I think it won Mountain Climbing Movie of the Year or something like that, too. But uh, it is really, really good, though. It, uh, definitely check it out. Uh, some people didn't like it, but I, I, I quite dug it. And uh, then Switch Gears, watched Rewind This. It popped up on Hulu Plus. Oh, yes. And, uh, of course, I've been wanting to see this. There's a, there's a few of these uh, VHS-themed uh, uh, documentaries coming out. Mike Malloy, our good friends, working on something a little different there, and I'm looking forward to his uh, piece as well. Mm -hmm. Um, this is a a great, uh, kind of trip through an era and it's a little bit bittersweet, you know, because it does remind you of that kind of wonder of uh, VHS and how great it was to have that control of watching films in your house and how that really changed and created a whole generation of film buffs. Uh, Oh yeah. I think people forget that, um, you know, how, you know, we take for granted how easy it is to watch movies at home and... When I was growing up, when I was a young child, I mean, if you didn't go to the movies and see E.T., uh, you weren't going to see E.T. for some time, you know? If that it got totally out of the movie there, yeah, you weren't going to see it until it debuted on, t- on TV. Yeah, TV like four years later, you yeah. know?
2: No, you're right, and people do forget that. You and I both were you know, grew up in that golden age, and for the first time, a lot of us could see world cinema. Not that I saw a lot of world cinema as a fucking kid other than Italian junk, but... Um, yeah, we could see everything, man, like Hong Kong, man, it was, it's, yeah, people forget that was, it was huge, man.
1: Yeah, it was, I mean, it was like, changing. Uh, yeah, it was like cable TV, I mean, both those things coincided to, I think, create a whole generation of uh, film lovers that, uh-huh. you know, we we sometimes take for granted, but um, yeah, that it was really nice, uh, and it was nice to see familiar faces in there, and, and in the credits, you know, you can see uh, Rupert's in there, Mike White's in there, and all kinds of people that we know and have been on the show actually quite a few VHS collectors that have been on the show are in the film and it's great it's great it's definitely worth a uh, definitely worth a look so definitely check it out i think you'll dig it as well it's one of those documentaries too though that i feel like you know i could watch like 9 hours of it oh yeah <laughs> you know? so definitely check it out uh, then i just switched gears watched uh, beautiful darling um man, i watched a lot of documentaries this week i got my got my documentary on Nice. And uh, Beautiful Darling is about uh, Candy Darling, uh, one of Andy Warhol's, um, I guess. Muses? Yeah, Muses, one of his muses, one of his many. When he was doing the uh, transsexual thing more, I hope I'm saying that right. Is it transsexual? Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, I just did the net and, uh, the name generator again and came up with Casper McGinnis. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. I could click on that all day. Absolutely I'm not, not. kidding you. I could click on that thing all day. Um. But yeah, this is great. Uh, pretty emo- I got a little emotional watching it. And uh, it was very interesting. Very interesting look at a very interesting person uh, during a very interesting era in experimental film. Um, so definitely check it out. It's on Netflix Instant as well.
0: Oh, wow, man. Instant's yeah. strong,
1: man. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of Instant this week because I was kind of on the go. So uh, yeah, but it's good. Really good. I think you'll dig it, especially. Awesome, I think man. actually the last three films I've talked about, I think you'll dig quite a bit now. The next one, uh, you know, this one had the promise, right? Uh, This is called The Iceman. This has Michael Shannon and uh, several other good actors in it. Here's what I'll say about The Iceman. The film is very mediocre, like, you know, five and a half to six territory. Uh, But the acting is like eight and above territory. That's crazy. So it's one of those type of movies. Shannon's really good. Um, Stephen Dorf's in there in a small part. (laughs) Uh, for those, who, so yeah, for those who love the dwarf, um, but there's a lot of good acting. Chris Evans is pretty great in it, playing a character named Freezy. Uh, he's he's great. Freezy, in, yeah, Freezy, yeah, yeah. He's like a uh, hitman slash ice cream man. Oh, wow. <laughs> but uh, he's he's fun in the film. Um, Ray Liotta owns in it as Ray Liotta typically does. Uh, he doesn't Ron, work
2: enough these days, and he still kills it in everything he's in, man. Yeah,
1: yeah. He's got some great scenes. I mean. Some great scenes in this film where he he uses that Ray Liotta look where it's like oh fuck <laughs> I'm in trouble. <laughs> yeah. uh, also uh, Robert Davi, uh, little small oh, wow. part. He's he's good in it. Uh, it's just one of those movies, man. It's one of those movies where the acting is good and 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 I wanted to like it more. But and the story is an interesting story. Uh, Richard Kuklinski, who was a uh, mob hitman, uh, Polish individual. One of the in it too. She's pretty good in it too. Um, but I think the story might be too much for um, what they were trying to get done, and uh, they this it kind of comes off a little. I don't know. It kind of feels like it's missing something. So I'd say it's a good enough watch if you're, you know, if you got nothing going on that day and you just want to watch a crime movie. But uh, not as good as I was hoping. Sadly, so uh, James Franco's in there in a little small part too. So, very cool. Yeah, 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 good act. Like I said, Shannon's good in it too. He's He's not bad at all, um, as he typically isn't. And then I watched uh, one last one. It was like 75 minutes long. I've been wanting to see it for some time. It's uh, kind of a it was a festival buzzer uh, for quite a while. And I remember when it came out, uh, some people were talking about it and stuff. But I never got around to it. But it's called uh, Tall Hot Blonde. Yep. Which is about uh, you know chat rooms and uh, identities and uh, craziness and stuff. Now this feels. I know it won some festival stuff. The only problem I have with this film, I mean, I really like the story of it, and I really like the way they told it, but the other problem I have, there, if there's a big problem I have with it, it feels very much like a like a 60 minutes excerpt, and it doesn't feel much like a film. It feels more like a TV report type thing. Oh, yeah. So I had a little bit of problems with that, but outside of that, though, it is a very interesting story, and, uh, you know, an interesting look at what goes on nowadays in uh, the, the modern world. Of course... Chat rooms and games rooms. I mean, I guess that stuff still goes on. I was in chat rooms for a while back in the early days of the uh, the Internet. But, the uh, BBS, y'all. Yeah. But uh, I used to play a game. Uh, and I wonder if anybody listens to this show ever played that game as well. I never really asked on the air. But I used to play a game in this chat, chat uh, server called Talk City. And uh, it was called Guess Movie by Plot. That was the name of the game. And uh, we'd all play, and it developed quite a community. And there it was like one of the first online communities I was part of. And I saw they had a little bit of a Facebook group, and there was a couple people in there I kind of realized and noticed. But uh, I often wonder whatever happened to that group of people because they were all big buffs, like uh, we all are. That's and cool, man. I often wonder if they'll end up in the group now. So interesting. So, yeah, that's worth a look, too. 75 minutes. It's worth a look, though. It's a good story. Very interesting story. Very fucked up story. Let me tell you. The-
2: do you have all your stuff um, posted on, like, Letterboxd or somewhere where I can check these out?
1: Yeah, yeah. Letterboxd is all uh, – I keep everything. I keep a diary of what I watch all year long there. Excellent. That's how uh, yeah, so I keep track of stuff and how I work my top 30s nowadays. And, of course, if, for those who don't know, I didn't announce on the air, but I did on a Facebook group. The uh, I do have a top 30. My top 30 from last year is up on Letterboxd. So. And I am uh, Sammy SammyGGTMC on Letterboxd, for those who – Want to friend me? Befriend me, please. Fantastic. So, but that is all I watched. Uh, other than that, a little bit of television. Um, and, uh, yeah, basketball. Been watching basketball. It's that time of year, and in this in this state, basketball is a pretty big deal. Certainly is, man. Yeah. So, all right, we're going to take a short break, come back, and which one you want to talk about first, Camille or John Camille Carpenter?
2: uh you decide man
1: I'm, i'm indifferent either way yeah let's do let's do prince of darkness let's do prince of darkness i want to talk about that one all right we'll do a little carpenter we'll be back right after this
2: they're 12 miles of bad road and now they have a microphone and their own show it's the
0: Daily Grindhouse Podcast, the official podcast of dailygridehouse.com Sorry, Gene. You tell that bitch who sent you here. How sorry I am, I can no longer be her friend. And the man called Perry.
2: I'm the one that killed London, whooped two, and put in the hospital. All the birds did a tell five did not the birds Spare Jones. Reviewing the hits and the hidden from the world of exploitation cinema and beyond.
0: Featuring exclusive cast and crew interviews. Past guests include John Carpenter, Robert Forster, Brian Trenchard-Smith, but still no Steve Gutenberg. (laughs) Well, uh, we'll get him
1: someday. We promise. I mean... We promise. The Daily Grindhouse Podcast, available on iTunes, Stitcher Smart Radio, Podomatic,
0: and of course at dailygrindhouse.com slash podcasts. The Daily Grindhouse Podcast tough films for the rough crowd. Got the goddamn message? Let's go to work.
1: I guess you should do Prince of Darkness in the um in the uh the grindhouse voice. Prince of Darkness. Yeah, yeah the guy's
2: kind of great. Uh oh.
1: <laughs> yeah. We promise. I mean We Promise. <laughs> love it. Love it. Twelve miles of bad road. <laughs> I love that, man. All right. <clears throat> Excuse me. There we go. Um okay, so nineteen eighty seven's Prince of Darkness. Um yeah, John Are you laughing over there? I'm
2: laughing at Prince of Darkness.
1: Yeah. John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. <laughs> Sounds a little bit like the uh the the uh, Wolfman thing was. I was, bit I was <laughs> dude, I was about to say that. Oh, yeah. uh, was that was that his name? Wolfman Jack? Yeah, that was it.
0: Yeah. All right, all right, alright.
1: <laughs> so <laughs>
2: Could you review this entire film in that voice?
1: I could, but I would not be able to talk the rest of the show at all. You would know how macho man <laughs> yeah. feels. Yeah. I would uh, be able to do the review in an animated way like Dennis Dunn, but then by the time I was done, I would be more I would yeah, I would be Dennis Dunn. By the time I was done, I would be That's right. <laughs> I would have the acting talent of Jesse Lawrence Ferguson, the uh, African American <laughs> <laughs> actor in this film. <laughs> All right, so uh, Prince of Darkness, uh, 1987, uh, John Carpenter, Basic Plot synopsis: uh, South <laughs> yeah, Anyway, a research team finds a mysterious cylinder in a deserted church. If opened, it could mean the end of the world. <laughs> so, so there you go. Yeah, so this is basically a film, basically a band uh, on a mission film and a gigantic cylinder of Gatorade. Um, yeah but uh, I don't know do you want to lead on this do you want me to lead on this I don't sure. care either way. Well, I'll lead on it. Go. let's rock um, and roll
2: I feel like uh, you and I talked we had a really good talk about this film off the air I want to mention something before I forget because I connected well, the dots and I'm proud of myself because I'm not usually this smart uh, well <laughs> at least I found it to be smart um, it's well documented that our man Karp uh, is yeah. a huge Howard Hawks man yes What's fascinating is that Radley Metzger is a huge John Ford fan,
1: nice yeah, so
2: to see the through line between the two films this week, which again seemingly have no link is how indebted those two men felt um to those two you know icons of western American cinema,
1: yeah, truly, so,
2: very cool. Let me get some of this uh, mango orange cranberry juice in my...
1: Mm, nice nice is that was is it in a cylinder? Yeah, <laughs> is it dripping on the ceiling?
2: It's actually in a. It's in a blue plastic Elmo cup. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Just don't squirt it in my mouth. <laughs> oh,
2: this actually, this is actually to lower cholesterol, if you can believe it.
1: Yeah, well, I can believe it. Yeah, yeah.
2: And I'm eating um bran <laughs> Muesli cereal, so I'm an old man.
1: <laughs> yeah, really.
2: <laughs> uh, with like blueberries in it, um, they're dried up, man. They're shriveled. They're very shriveled. Um, But yeah, Diabolic. This film is late, what I think we would sort of consider late cycle in terms of the golden run of Carpenter. Um,
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. This is... uh, Well, yeah, we talked about this one off the air, didn't we? We uh, talked about his career. This is right before, I guess, uh, people... I don't know if people turned on him. That's not the right word, but kind of the era of the... uh, This is right before They Live, and I, I, I sometimes consider They Live like the 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 end cap on a great run of films uh, from uh, Halloween.
2: A thirteen film uh, run, yeah. Well, actually, you I should could say. do no wrong for thirteen fucking films. Yeah,
1: sold on precinct thirteen, all the way to uh, Dark they Star. Love. Yeah, well, yeah, well, the Dark Star. I guess you could like Dark Star too, although Dark Star is a very different film in a lot of ways. Yeah, very kind of loopy and a bit silly, uh, which he kind of got away from. But you got Halloween and then a couple TV movies, but they're both pretty good. Then The Fog, New- Escape from New York, The Thing, Christine, Starman, Big Trouble, Prince, and They Live. I mean, that's a run right there.
2: That is a run, boy. Yep. Um, but even if you just took his back half of After That, you still have Mouth of Madness, Village of the Damned, Escape from All the Vampires, Ghost to Mars, and The Ward, which yeah. would be an interesting filmography in and of itself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A mixed bag, to be sure, but...
1: Um, it's yeah. almost like the '90s changed and Carpenter didn't, and his he films, tried to, but he just yeah. His films kind of feel that way. I know that yeah. like we we talked about it off the air. I know there's quite a few fans of In the Mouth of Madness. Uh, I like it as well. Uh, don't think it's as interesting as his stuff in the '80s, but. Uh, you know, I, I do like that and the silliness of Escape from LA, and I, I enjoy it's vampires. I'm like, I a soft spot for yeah, vampires. I enjoy Ghost of Mars. You like a little bit more than me, but I enjoyed it. Yeah,
2: By fucking casting Ghost of Mars, man. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's amazing.
2: And that was the last one for me that felt like um, felt like a, a Carpenter film. Like mm-hmm. the score felt very Carpenter. Some of the static shots felt very Carpenter. You know, I guess well, I guess it would've felt like the last real Carpenter film, because other than that he's only done The Ward and a couple of Masters of Horror episodes. But but you know, it felt real and Vampires uh, has an awesome James Woods performance and a great premise, but it has the worst crying scene in the history of cinema (laughs) with Daniel Baldwin. It does have a bad one, yeah. (laughs) It's so terrible. So terrible. But that's the interesting thing about Carpenter, he's always been able to put together some, in, assemble interesting casts. Um, now this film I'd said to you, I always, I can't help but compare it to In the Mouth of Madness, even though there's a few films in between for them, because um, Memoirs, which I've, that and Village are the two carpenters I've not seen. Memoirs is more of like a comedy, so, mm-hmm. and They Live is kind of like this sci-fi, social commentary action film. And Body Bags is an anthology where he kind of stars it and stuff, but So Mouth of Madness and Prince of Darkness are sort of last two pure horror films of that time. Yeah. And I can't help but compare them. I feel like a lot of people do. And I'd said to you on the phone, off the air, I feel like In the Mouth of Madness has really aged a lot worse than Prince of Darkness. I feel like Neil's fine on it, but other than that, the film looks very cheap. Hmm. And um, it just doesn't really hold up for me. I had a chance to rewatch it a few years ago, whereas this, I've watched it in the past five or six years. And then we had the benefit of this Blu-ray, and this thing holds up very very well and I think a lot of people forget when mentioning his great films this film
1: yeah I think I think we we talked about it and I think we talked a little bit on the phone about it but I think one of the reasons if you compare the two and why I think this one holds up really well is basically because I think the men on a mission type format of the film the siege aspects and we kind of talked about that a little bit but a more
2: cerebral yeah. philosophical siege it's not Action as much as it's, uh, you know, education, yeah. theory, philosophy.
1: Yeah, but that basic premise of the siege era uh, type of film, in a way, I think works better. Like, I don't think in the I think in the mouth of madness works great for those who really love like Lovecraft and things like that. Uh, yeah,
2: which I'm I very indifferent on. Sorry, yeah. everyone.
1: No, I'm indifferent on it as well. So it either works for you or it doesn't really work for you. And it <laughs> Some Lovecraft are really huge into it. Man, yeah. I only think one director I know of really works. Well, with Lovecraft, starting. Gordon. Yeah, that's Gordon. I mean, he's the only one I know that kind of realizes what what I think Lovecraft kind of realized on paper. He can realize on celluloid or whatever. But yeah, I think that um, that that siege element. And I'd forgotten. I you know I'd seen this. I've seen this film several times. I mean, uh, probably twenty times, really. And uh, I'd forgotten the siege. The siege kind of men on a mission, get a team together element. And I, I tell you, I'd forgotten it so much. I totally forgot. Because I'm watching it and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, this whole classroom is going to be in the church. But then I forgot that they actually pulled from other departments in the college.
2: Other disciplines, other um, yeah. frame, sort of state um, – other disciplines and other kind of um, trains of thought or mm-hmm. disciplines. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah, I had totally forgotten that. And uh, mm-hmm. so that was nice. That was nice to see. You know, then pull all these people together. And I always like the introduction scenes and stuff. There's some great fashion in this, by the way. Some wood, some great late 80s uh, baggy shirts and oh, yeah. questionable pants.
2: <laughs> there are a lot of questionable pants. And I'll tell you something. No dis- disrespect to anyone who wears these. But Jameson Parker is one of the first khaki-wearing <laughs> heroes we've had in the, on the show. Yeah. Or more about the denim and leather.
1: Yeah, yeah, but the, the interesting thing about the khakis is this is eighty seven. So there's actually another actor, the guy with the long hair, who kind of gets consumed by the Beatles. Oh, uh, with, he's got a
2: great skull at five yeah. o'clock shadow combination.
1: He's wearing skin tight khakis, which is a is a fashion faux pas. That you don't do you huh? don't you don't do skin tight khakis. Uh, yeah, those are khakis, not khakis. They're tacky khakis. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have to wear khakis for my profession. I'm not a fan,
2: but that's what I'm saying. Like. You know you have to um and they're comfortable enough but i'm proud to say i've never owned a pair of khakis yeah <laughs> not my bag yeah. yeah but uh but there's a lot of khakis in this um they are co- some-
1: they are comfortable for my bag so i should say that oh uh, well, they
2: sure are <laughs> they provide support um yeah Well, being uh
1: a lot of open room to breathe
2: yeah Well, well being casually classy it's, for, uh,
1: for my prince of darkness <laughs>
2: for your prince of darkness right for your yeah and Dennis Dunn's a bit of a fashion plate in this film.
1: Oh my god, yeah, he is. <laughs> Got his sleeves, big sleeves rolled
2: up, but um <laughs> you know he's uh, he's good to go, man. Yeah. Um there's not a yeah, big
1: there's, there's not a gigantic difference between Dennis Dunn's uh costume and Lisa Blount's. Right, she one.
2: um yeah, she but you're right. I can't really say anything more than that. <laughs> it's, yeah. But Dennis Dunn, so he kind of gets the Gets the band back together, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit with uh, two pieces from Big Trouble Victor Wong, yeah. who, you know, as we've spoken about, we're huge fans of, um, and Dennis Dunn, right? We get the old Egg Shen and and Dennis uh, Dunn back together, and it's nice to see them because Big Trouble uh, is you know, a favorite for almost everyone
0: mm-hmm. uh, that
2: listens to this show. So to get Wang and and Shen uh, back together is nice, and yeah, he gets Pleasance, you know, Carpenter favorite, Jameson Parker of Simon Simon Fame, and some other kind of familiar TV faces, and of course uh, Alice Cooper, who, as we talked about his his contribution to the film, was greatly overstated um, for some reason. And <laughs> and the, the wonderfully named Dirk Blocker, yes, just a great porn name. And Dirk Blocker, as we said, has the biggest skull <laughs> uh, that we've ever done on the show. Man, he has a big head.
1: Yeah, Dirk Blocker. He's actually on Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see him every. I watch him every week. He's on. He's on Brooklyn Nine Nine every week as a Hitchcock, and uh, he has some pretty funny moments on that show. But yeah, he's I, a pretty popular character actor.
2: I wonder whose head has a larger circumference, Dirk Blocker or Boris zukov <laughs> That yeah. is a question for the ages.
1: Yeah, Dirk Blocker looks great with a beard. He should wear a yeah, beard often.
2: I see those
1: pictures. He looks fantastic with a beard, man. Yeah, he does. looks good with a beard. He's big, a lot of TV. If you see Dirk Blocker, you know Dirk Blocker. Let's put it that way.
2: Yes, and to know Dirk Blocker is to love Dirk Blocker. <laughs> yeah, I love that name.
1: <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I think it's interesting, the, the Jameson Parker thing. It, you know, Jameson Parker was huge when I was a kid. I mean, Simon and Simon was a big show. Yeah, man. And uh, Jameson Parker was a big part of that. He never really caught on. You know, he oh. never really caught on outside of Simon and Simon, I think. Very...
2: One of those guys that had a look, and I think he was just tailor totally made to be in a hit TV show.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's just made to be part of that, you know. Like he never, like the other part of Simon Simon Gerald McRaney. He never. I mean, he's a good character actor, and he's done some that's other major stuff. dad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, major dad as well. Yeah, uh, but he did a bunch of TV, but he's also done a few film things and stuff. Uh, McRaney has, and he never a new story. Yeah, and he's a uh, you know he's got a kind of a thing, but I, I don't know. Jameson Parker for me always felt kind of bland,
2: and that's always been my gripe and a lot of people's gripe with him in this film mm-hmm. now i'd said to you the thing i found interesting man, my coffee's getting cold i haven't had a sip yet um Ouch. Ouch. yeah um i feel like parker for me this time when i look at this film when i step away from the criticism or the the, the um, what's the word i'm looking for my preconceived notions based on previous viewings about how bland he is i feel like in the context of being sort of a uh, a thinker, not a doer. He's he's an intellectual. Um, that he he works better this time around for me. Looking at the film versus in times prior, because yeah, he's he's not. I tried to think. Well, could we cast Kurt Russell? Who could we cast? But I think he's fine for the film because I don't think the film needs that cigar chomping kind of tank top wearing uh, leading man. Because this is more. This film really is more of a philosophical and intellectual exercise in some ways. Yeah. Um, than, than some of his other work. That's not, not to say that his other films don't deal with subject matter, but um, they're just fantastically crafted uh, genre films in some way. Some of them deal with with commentary, but I think this is you know, a little more philosophical. Than you and I had mentioned, interestingly, this film deals with um, a subgenre of horror in and of itself, sort of the the, the religious aspect of horror with God and the devil and, and everything else, which Carpenter never really set foot into the best of our knowledge otherwise.
1: Yeah, this is uh during that era, right? I think uh, during the era of the whole Dungeons and Dragons or making your kids satanic and all that kind of stuff and there's a lot of religious type stuff going on at the time. Satanic but you, panic. Yeah, the satanic panic. Looking through Jameson Parker's trivia, I did not know that uh during a year off, he uh because he was shot by his neighbor uh shot him uh twice his neighbor did. Jeez, and the neighbor was sentenced to nine years in prison over a dispute of dog feces. Oh man, Jesus, man, that went wrong. That went wrong for real, well, man. I didn't even know that. So Boy. yeah, wow. But he's his I mean he's okay. He re- he recovered and everything. He's yeah. fine. But Jesus, his birthday's
2: the day before mine. Yeah, so it's interesting. But, yeah, but he was a good looking enough guy. He got a great mustache.
1: He yeah, yeah, mustache. yeah. He does. He gives good. He gives good stash. You're right.
2: Yeah, but this film, um, as we spoke about. And I'll mention later on, the atmosphere in this film is so fantastic. This film opens extremely strongly, um, where it's got the priest on his deathbed, and he's got this little little chest, like a like a I'll just say for lack of a better descriptive, for those of that haven't seen like a little treasure chest.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's cool. It's like a little like a little uh, lockbox of some sort. It's very cool, man.
2: And it Carpenter is such an old pro; like he never shows us what's in it, but the image. In and of itself is strong enough and tantalizing enough that it it has weight, and mm-hmm. you know there's something very heavy about yeah. this yeah. item. That yeah. this on his deathbed, this priest is sort of clinging to this.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: You know, yeah, it's uh, it's really fantastic. Um, what did I say? Wong with box. What does well, that even mean?
1: I don't know, but it sounds like a a good film for my. Uh, Ulysses uh, Munison, or whatever my, my, other, my pseudonym is.
2: That's right, man. Wong, I don't know what Wong with box means now. Fuck. Yeah. Anyway, uh, another thing that Carpenter uses quite well to show us that the universe is kind of uh, off kilter is he it uses insects and, and sort of lower rung creatures, worms and insects and stuff, or ants, just to be kind of uh, in a frenzy. And there's always the inclination that something's seriously wrong. Like, well, look at uh, M. Night Shyamalan. Shyamalan used used that uh, that theory is or that that trope as well, with with insects, kind of indicating that there's something very seriously wrong with our planet. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And that works well because there's a few great shots of these ants scurrying, or the shots of these worms on the on the windows that are actually pretty. They're pretty strong images, and they're they're unsettling. It's unsettling to see those things. Yeah, kind of gross. It is kind of gross. <laughs> um, and Pleasance in this he plays a uh, man of the cloth, <laughs> yeah. so it's it's kind of he's come full circle.
0: Yeah, right? I,
1: because yeah, I love doing my Donald. I got to do my Donald Pleasanton, but he was all slaves. <laughs> <laughs> he really goes for it in some scenes here.
2: He goes for it, man. He hasn't been on our show since he's been hung over, reeking like bo, uh, shooting <laughs> kangaroos, man. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, so
2: he hasn't been out in a little while. But the Pleasants, um, I actually like his turn in this better than you do. Um, and he's come full circle from a man of science with Halloween to a man of faith
0: mm-hmm. uh,
2: in this. And I think he gives a pretty good performances.
1: I, I love, I love his quiet moments. I love his, his quiet, quiet moments yeah. are really great in this. Like his moments of, uh, you know, just this quiet acting. His quiet acting. And Donald Pleasance has always been a very good actor. I mean, he's he he has a look, obviously, and a. And a certain delivery and horror movies really gave him a a really great back end for his career yes it did but uh there's just it's only a couple moments there's only a couple moments where i feel like you know he's a little hung out to dry but uh that's not his fault that really that i think that falls more on carpenter carpenter yeah who just kind of holds the camera a little too long on those those big overreactions but uh I do love the quiet moments he is, and i w- I wish he would have spoke more in the film because there 's something about the English accent and and the urgency
2: of the way he speaks and these yeah. kind of hushed tones and stuff yeah.
1: and that uh, and that talking about you know religious history and things that, that you know it just sounds really good listening to him say those words and talk about the past and you know it always reminds me of that great moment in Halloween when he talks about uh Michael uh, Myers for the first time he he was a he was a young boy when I first met him. You know, <laughs> you know that little, just, you know, he just has this great storyteller voice.
2: Yeah, it's like, what's his name? Uh, Spivey Point uh, in the fog. Uh, John Barrymore. Was it John Barrymore? No, it's
1: Hausman. Hausman.
2: Oh, yeah, John Hausman. That's right. Yeah. Talking John Barrymore. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's great. But, yeah, you know, another thing that I never realized to this film is how much Pleasance acts with his eyes or overacts with his eyes.
1: Yeah. He's got a great goatee, too, man. I love that. I love he's that kind nice of nice porn
2: goatee, man. He keeps that shit closely cropped.
1: Yeah, it's, I, I love that kind of in between goatee beard look. You know, it's like an early
2: '90s uh, porn look, man.
1: I used to wear. I used to wear one of those. I used to wear one of those uh, heavy goatees like that.
2: Nice, yeah, very nice, man. Um, there's a there's this discussion this about nature. Egg Shen. I'm gonna call him Egg Shen. Like, you
0: know,
2: <laughs> <he's>, <laughs> Victor Wong has Egg Shen. Yeah. He's got. You know what I like to? I want to get this off my chest in case I. Don't get a chance to see it later. I love how Carpenter, whenever he uses minorities in his films, other than Big Trouble, which is kind of a, an homage uh, to Hong Kong films and action films and a lot of other things, I love how Carpenter never makes race really a thing in his films. The like, characters just are what they are, and it's just kind of matter of fact, and it's it's not really a topic of discussion. Like, you know, Victor Wong, and this, his name is Professor Howard Bierak, this, yeah. you know, this could have been a white guy could have been a black guy, could have been a Hispanic, could' have been anyone really but he cast Victor Wong and he has three Asians in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, to have three Asians uh, pretty much not quite headline, but three Asians to be in your this, amongst the leads in your film at the time um, it was saying something because not a lot of people were doing it and uh, you know kudos to him for other than you know kind of a, a cheesy pickup line joke that Dennis Dunn uses. They never really dwell on the fact that any of them are Asian. Yeah, yeah. Which is I'm glad because it's ridiculous that yeah. that always has to be a focal point. Just put the fucking actor in the film.
1: Yeah, Dennis Dunn has some He Dennis Dunn easily has the worst lines in the film.
2: He does. He does. But um I think Dennis Dunn as I'd said I think he's I like Dennis Dunn enough that I'm oh, going to overlook yeah. his. Yeah, job. no, he's
1: he's very likable. He's a very likable he is actor. Very likable. Uh, he just has some uh some badly timed it was a different era. You know. It was a
2: different era. And Dennis Dunn, he has very weird hair. <laughs> yeah. His yeah. hair is too long to be spiked, but he insisted on spiking it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, Victor Wong also has some interesting hair. Yeah, he's got uh, –
2: but but see, poor Vic. He thought he was going to get the gold medal for Skullets in this film with that other dude. Uh, Dirk Blocker. Dirk Blocker. And, and there, there's the other dude with the 5 o'clock shadow and yeah. the with the Beatles. So Victor Wong thought he was getting the gold medal for Skulls in this film, but he comes away with the bronze.
1: <laughs> he comes with, yeah, he does come away with the bronze on the
2: Skulls. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he does. But yeah, and again, not just minorities, but casting three Skulls in your film is a brave move. That that completely devoid of all vanity.
0: Well, yeah. Well,
2: then against
1: Carpenter's A Man of the Skulls. <laughs> there you go. So. I was getting ready to say. I was going to say maybe he was. <laughs> <laughs> the many faces of John. <laughs> Maybe he was casting. You know, he's like, "Hey, this guy. I like this guy's style, man." Brotherhood. Of this. Yeah, that's right. I like his moves. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but uh, yeah, but I was gonna say, nature is solid. Time is not. Also, time is a flat circle. <laughs> Looks like uh, Egg Shen and uh, and Russ Cole, man, brothers from another mother. <laughs> So,
1: yeah. <laughs> time, time, is a flat surface, Marty.
2: Yeah, that's right, man. That's right. <laughs> and I'll tell you, another flat surface that's fantastic is uh, is Xian's Casio calculator watch. <laughs>
1: he's he's got one, and so does Jameson Parker. If you like. like, yeah, man. they bring in the thunder. A little loafing, they're loafing it up. They are
2: loafing it up. They just needed uh, gremlins t-shirts and fedoras. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: when, one one. Trap, and a and a, and a, and a donut-eating sidekick from West Virginia. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right, man. It is California Golden Seals uh, throwback hat. Uh, uh, um, uh, they Carpenter doesn't avoid the trap of casting forty-year-olds as college students.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You
2: know that's one thing, but you know, but here's the other thing that I was thinking about big picture with Carpenter is because I was thinking about the the demonic thing, but I was also thinking. Other than Halloween, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I could be, he always used adults in his horror films, not young people.
1: Um, I'm trying oh, to Christine,
2: think. actually, Christine as well.
1: Yeah, there's some young people in that. I'm trying to think, though. Yeah, he mostly, yeah, yeah, I would say so.
2: So that probably also adds to why his films have such an enduring appeal, because they're well done, they're adults, they're not screechy kind of... Uh, archetypes
1: yeah young archetypes yeah the talk the nerd i'm looking through right now the ward obviously there's some young people in that Mm -hmm. but uh yeah you might be right man i'm looking through here i'm not seeing like quote unquote christine is one uh yeah yeah christine and halloween that's 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 it about it and the ward really and that's about it for young people
2: out of that many genre films, that's testament. Because again, his characters, I think they always feel fleshed out, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, he yeah, adds depth to them. Um, uh, what else do we got here? Burr, 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 burr. Oh yeah, I already talked about yeah Dirk Blocker. Um, Sandy King is Sandy King, Stephen
1: King's wife. Um, no, that's Tabitha King.
2: That's Tabitha, and Naomi's his daughter, right?
1: Uh, I think so. I don't know. You're going. You're going one generation too far in my King knowledge.
2: Yes, that's right. Let me look at Naomi King. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. I think,
1: I think you may have found the other Naomi King. <laughs> I think I did find
2: another, a different Naomi King. Oh, there's two of them side by side. One of them's not like the other. Mm. Um. Oh my. Uh. <laughs> so. Anyway, this is a script supervisor. So, um, yeah. Anyway, um, the typewriter—that's we, you know. Whenever we get things on the show that uh, aren't going to be around or are not around anymore, we would like to comment on them. And the typewriter kind of moment where you see someone typing a letter—that doesn't happen anymore.
1: Yes. So. Well, the old computer. I always love old computer technology. Anyway, in movies, I, I got a little bit of a loaf thing for that. That's fantastic. And I love it. I love it in this. I love the loud keyboards, and I love that the computer in this is a snarky bastard. Like yeah. at one point it says, in fact.
2: <laughs> oh, I know. There's a few good moments with the computer. But there's one where he kind of overplays it a bit. Yeah, he does. Which I'll, which I'll get to because he goes Kanye West caps lock. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. But I'll get to that. Something I'd never noticed before is...
1: Quentin, he needs to stop looking at those pictures of uh, Naomi King. I do
2: have to, man. <laughs> wow. Outstanding. <laughs> oh, I, I didn't know her before. I think Todd would like her. Is she a suicide girl? Um, Maybe that's a different one. I don't know. Anyway, um, enough about her. I think that um, Carpenter, just a little small thing I'd never noticed this time, was, you know the name of the university they go to? Because at one point, um, Jameson Parker has the university sweatshirt on. Yeah. And and the university is called Neal, K-N-E-A-L-E, which... did. You know, in light of the religious theme, I thought that was kind of a a cute little university name, Neil. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do we got here? Written by, of course, Martin Quartermass or Quatermass, Quartermass, Quatermass, Quartermass,
1: Quartermass. Cater- Quatermass. Quatermass. Yeah, that's that's Carpenter. One of Carpenter's yeah, pseudonyms. One of his pseudonyms. I
2: think he wrote Mouth um, of Madness uh, under that name as well, if I remember correctly.
1: Did he write? Did he write? Uh, <laughs> did he write uh, a solo on Precinct Thirteen under that name.
2: I don't think he did, did he? Maybe know. you're right.
1: I don't know if he did or not either. I'm going to look at that. Um, but
2: yeah, so right, written by him, of course, which is, you know, at this point we know it to be JC. Um, I love that, uh, what was I saying? Yes.
1: I didn't know Lisa Blount was dead.
2: Oh boy, is she?
1: Yeah, she's only 53. She died of a rare blood disease called ITP. Fuck, man. Mm.
2: That's too bad. I thought she was... Uh, she was cute. Yeah, this movie was a
1: hit, you know. It only cost $3 million, and it made like $14, dollars million. So it was a hit for Carpenter. Well, maybe <laughs> it's a bummer. You
0: know. Not that it was a hit that she's dead.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She won an Oscar, it says.
1: Yeah, I think for producing a small film maybe or something like that. Yeah, Best Short
2: Film. The account, man. Oh, man. You know who she produced that film with? Walton Goggins. Nice. Very cool, man. Yeah. Very God. cool. Looks like she worked with Goggins quite a bit, man, because they worked together on something called Randy and the Mob, The Accountant. Okay, interesting. Well, Goggins is an Arkansas guy, I think, maybe. He's from that area. But anyway, uh, Clay should know.
1: A um, damn computer locked up. I'm getting irritated.
2: Ooh. Um, so, yeah, I'll try to keep going here. So I love that it kind of, the story, the backstory of this builds about the secret um, society within the priests. And I can't remember what the name of them was called, but they talk about the Vatican not knowing about them and, I love how this brings sort of a fresh approach and a fresh um, uh, hypothetical question of, of evil, uh, you know, the devil, and it gives it a very much a scientific or a science fiction bent, which is never dealt with because you don't see science and faith usually melding together like that. But Carpenter does that, and I think it's a very interesting approach. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um what do I say here? Cooper. Oh, yeah, Cooper's fine in the film, as we briefly talked about. But, again, they like they put him on the poster and, like, the cover. It's like, come on, really? Like, Egg Shen needs more love? Come on. <laughs> you, know, like, you don't need to have, like, all, because really all Cooper does in this film is he wears a toque. And he is slightly sneery throughout the whole film.
1: Yeah, well he does and he, runs,
2: and he runs a bicycle seat into someone's stomach.
1: Yeah, that's the that's the golden moment for him right there is the bicycle seat moment. Yeah, yeah. So he's just
2: snarly sneery, and that's it. But um, I gotta say, man, there's a, uh, you know, the girl that plays like the the, the like Maltese wet face, gross. <laughs> Who's that? Susan Blanchard? Is that Susan Blanchard? Uh, I don't know. How does Dennis Dunn not have an IMDB photo?
1: I don't know. It's Tradition. interesting, isn't it? I know. <laughs> He's to contact oh, his people. And get your people sorted, man. Tell them. Let me do see everybody. Right Susan Blanchard, is it Kelly? I guess it is Kelly. I can't remember.
2: Uh yeah, it is her. I can't even look at her face with no makeup without being repulsed. And she's a pleasant enough looking woman, but <laughs> the makeup on her is so repulsive. Yeah. It's so. I've said it to you off the air. It's one of the grossest things in film I've ever seen. Like every time I've ever watched this, it's unsettled me. Um, it's so wet and gross, <laughs> and uh, I couldn't even look at her without um, without being gross, out, even when she's normal human form. But she probably has the worst wardrobe in the film because her wardrobe seems to have been stolen from the Golden Girls Dorothy Zbornak' closet. <laughs> Yeah. Like, it, it's terrible man she's got pure golden girls outfits um but yeah that's the way it goes um you know who i would have liked to have seen as the hobo even though i think the guy's a bit of a shithead who? it's d, d snyder
1: <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: yeah they should have cast him with all like uh quote unquote blacky lawless yeah yeah the the more theatrical metal singers like Blackie lawless yeah. d snyder alice cooper all those guys. King Diamond. Been King all those, Diamond would have been amazing. <laughs> put all those guys in there as the bums. Yeah. would have been awesome. Man, that would have been great. <laughs> King Diamond <laughs> probably would have shown up and been like, I'm going to wear this makeup, man.
2: That's right, man. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That would have been fantastic. Um but Pleasance. Man, I was scribbling fast and furious here. Um, oh, man. I don't know what that says. I think I don't know. It doesn't matter. But yeah, Melt okay, I talked about Melty Faces, Wardrobe, The Worms in the Window. Eddie Deason's brother shows up at one point in this film.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, that guy. What is that guy's name? I've seen that guy in something else.
2: I can't remember his name for the life of me. Yeah,
1: he's only in the he's, he's the one that gets the bicycle. And That's right. Man, what is his name? I can't I'm looking through here to see if I can find his name. Ah shit. I don't know which one he is, but maybe he's Robert Grasmere don't know i'm gonna have to do a google search and see if it comes up as him but anyway i've yeah, seen I, i've seen that guy in other stuff yeah he's uh he's
2: okay but you know he gets dealt with he should have known that when he saw the crucified bird um that he should have got the fuck out of dodge a lot quicker
1: yeah 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 he was like what yeah. the hell oh his name is uh tom bray Tom um, Bray, okay.
2: Tom but he, uh, yeah, he's he's fine enough in the film, you
1: know. But he's in a very he, very very short amount of time. Well, he's in, well, like horror movies. He was in Deep Star Six. He was in the horror show. He's in quite a looks like a little bit of a mostly that kind of stuff horror films TV. Um, but what's oh Bray he was is, he was in the Prowler, bro. Was he? I,
2: I don't, don't remember him in that.
0: You no. Know. Uh, that?
1: interesting.
2: But um, that the scene with the bicycle seat, as I said to you air, is kind of like the the meta cannibal Holocaust. Like they've pulled back the curtain to show you the effect, because in that, you know that that the most infamous effect in that film was done using a bicycle seat.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Um, you know, but in this, it's like he gets stabbed with the, the bike, Song's bicycle seat. So, anyway, um, I love the uh, I love too. Like Carpenter, I think he said, I think. You Maybe could correct from wrong. I feel like he said, um, when asked that he's an atheist, maybe, mm-hmm. but I like that he briefly touches on sort of the science fiction, the commentary on the hypocrisy of the church without being heavy handed or about without this being a slam the church, yeah. uh, film. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. he's looking at an interesting angle in theory without,
1: um, yeah, he's telling it from both sides, right? Equally, that's right, that's right,
2: exactly. Exactly. And the building they use. We talked about this. We talked about how a lot of the great horror films off the air are one location, alien thing, uh, Halloween to a large degree. What were some of the other ones we said? Suspiria. Um, a lot of the greats. Night of Living Dead. These are all films that are sort of set in one location. They take advantage of that location and it adds sort of a claustrophobic feel. Um, and this does that as well. And see, Carpenter was smart enough to get a building that he could shoot on the cheap that looked great, but was just big enough that people could get lost in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, there's some great hallways. I'll yeah. tell you,
2: I was gonna make a crass joke about a hallway, and I won't. You know who, which women or woman I found to be the most attractive was um, Susan, the radiologist.
1: She the uh, she's the one that turns first. Yeah, the glasses. Yeah, man, I loved her. I did too. I did too. She's I actually have that. I have that right here. Where is it? Uh, Where's my note? Hang on. Uh, oh yeah. Always had a thing for the girl in the glasses. There it is. Yeah,
2: she's dynamite dude. And I love it that they don't usually just refer to her as Susan. They say, Where's Susan? You know, the radiologist.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. your, she looks good for her age, man.
1: Yeah, she's still working. She still does uh she's a character actor. She works quite a bit. She looks very good for her age. Good for her. Good for us.
2: Um what's his oh uh <laughs> One of the silliest lines in the film is, uh, "Who's that blue?" <laughs> is there someone named Blue in the film? Uh, I don't know.
1: Is there? I don't think so. I don't remember a name Blue. Man, my
2: notes are really I'm really off point. <laughs> um, is I love when the one dude that looks a bit like like the scullleted Fisher Stevens, not Fisher Stevens. Who's the guy in Thirty Something?s Parker Stevenson? No.
1: Oh uh, yeah, yeah, Parker Stevenson. Yeah, I think so.
2: Well, it looks like the skulleted version of him when he, I think he's outside and he says, this is Kaka, Kaka."
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, he's actually one of the effects guys too, should we say that. I, I did, didn't know that until I did some more research on the film and stuff. He's actually one of the guys that does some of the visual effects in the film. So I guess Carpenter would probably just, you know, keep the money down, just probably cast him.
2: Yeah, and he's fine. You know, he's fine. enough. But um, we C- talked about... Caca. Uh, this is Kaka. This is Kaka, yo. Um, <laughs> we talked about the sweatiest black man in the history of cinema Calder in
0: this
2: (laughs) you dislike Calder's performance a lot more than I do I feel like he almost has like a T.K. Carter like an older T.K. Carter kind of feel yeah but you weren't really a fan of his performance certainly
1: it was a little over the top yeah he's he's the the laughing the laughing was a little irritating (laughs) yeah
2: how do you think uh, Pleasance felt man (laughs) He had to hear that laugh for hours yeah Well, dude looked in the mirror, man. <laughs> um, I love, and I'd never noticed it before this time I'd seen it, I love that killing outside with the homeless woman and the scissors. That's totally a jolly kill.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. From a distance, great. It's good yeah, stuff.
2: Yeah, and then like the hand comes up with the scissors and it cuts. It's really totally jolly, and it works very well. It's, it's a good-looking scene. Um, one of the big things about this film that people find most chilling, and you and I echo that sentiment, is, is the the video footage that that's sort of the collective dream that everyone's having, mm-hmm. um, it's very chilling.
1: It is. Uh, it works quite well. Although we both agree that he kind of drops
2: the ball with it at the end. At the end, he, yeah, he reveals something he shouldn't reveal. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, uh, oh, man, I'll tell you, I love the moment – talking about the computer, remember we were just talking about that. I love the moment when the computer says to them, because they're translating this scripture – you will not be saved by the Holy Ghost. And it just kept saying it over and over and over when someone's typing it over and over and over and mm-hmm. over. That was chilling to me until it goes, like I said, it goes Kanye West. It goes Caps Lock. <laughs> it's like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but still, very chilling. Um, what else do we got here? Uh, I feel like Carpenter really, really, maybe better than. Or in line with something like the fog, and maybe even more so, I feel like the stakes were higher in this one than the fog. Um, because this feels like the end of the world, not just a town being haunted by ghosts. I really feel like he ratchets up the tension so well in this film. Yeah. From moment one. It's yeah. just perfectly ratcheted up.
1: I agree. I agree. Uh, he that that's what Carpenter does, uh, you know, that's what makes him, I think, a good filmmaker, a great filmmaker, is the way he he builds, and he's always done that. From Assault on Precinct Thirteen, which we did, uh, was it earlier this year or was it last, late last year? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I realize now more and more the, when I revisit his films that he builds tension well. He he really has always done that, and that's one of his strengths as a filmmaker. And he does it in a very beautiful way. I mean, he shoots these big master shots, and they always look nice. Like you were talking about that kill from a distance. It is very <laughs> jolly, but you know, he is a fan of that type of era of film and and you mix that with the western elements and everything else, I think his his film language is uh, kind of timeless in a way.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, talking about the siege elements with them being locked in the building, not out, but they're being attacked from outside and from within.
0: Mm-hmm,
2: yep. And you could look at within as being meta, within as in spiritually as well as, you know, by yeah. what they're being physically attacked by. Um, I, uh, I think there's at times with some of the infections, it almost feels like the squirting version of Night of the Creeps.
0: <laughs> what epic.
1: Yeah. It's uh, You know that that guy that played um the uh, the actor that did the African American actor that was in this that I didn't really care for? You know, you know what I remember him from the most? And you'll probably be like, Oh yeah, that's right. He that? was the real asshole cop in Boys in the Hood. Oh, oh,
2: man, he has a mustache in it.
1: Yeah, you remember he was like the real av- asshole? He was asshole. the one that really tried to shame
2: Trey when he pulled him over, right? Yeah, yeah, like the really yeah, asshole. Yeah, fuck, man, I remember that. And he kept calling him uh, a rather unsavory name.
1: Yes, exactly.
2: Yeah, fucker. <laughs> he was such a piece of shit in that.
1: Yeah, he was, he was really good in that. Like that film, Like he's really good at playing this. Total jerk and stuff. He was in Neon Maniacs. I don't remember him in Neon Maniacs, but was uh, he one of the maniacs? That's crazy. He was in that, and then he was in The Supernaturals, which I think is a film you reviewed with somebody. Oh, with me and Miles, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but uh, anyway, he was. Uh, yeah, he was. Wow, that's crazy. He's been in a lot of stuff, actually. I've seen.
0: Yeah, but yeah, I, re- I liked.
1: I remembered him as most in the when I. I forgot to tell you that when I was talking to you the other night, I was like, yeah, man, I always remember that guy as an asshole cop in Boys in the Hood. He's such a motherfucker in that
2: scene. <laughs> uh- <laughs> Um, yeah, good call, man. I didn't realize that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, Pleasance, I talked about this. I think it's the most, un- oh, he was in an episode of Hill Street Blues called Chipped Beef. Nice. 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 Uh, um, Chipped my, Beef.
1: my porn oh. name.
2: And he was in the – yeah, that's right, man. He was in mine's, uh, mine's uh, corned beef hash. Um, he was in the fish to save Pittsburgh. Amazing. And he was in the onion field, man. That's why he's got a pretty good little uh, filmography. Um,
1: 12 miles of bad road starring <laughs> chip beef and corned beef hash.
2: <laughs> that's amazing, man. Um, the uh, – fuck, I'm all over the place here. I love uh, – There's a moment, like I said, it's absolutely the funniest or unintentionally hilarious moment when shit gets real in the hallway and a few of the people are out in the hallway when this stuff happens. And Pleasance's priest character slinks back into a doorway and locks the door behind him, leaving everyone else out in the hall.
1: Yeah.
2: It was just such a shady move on his part, but what is we had all their rooms divided everyone up and you know the thing Carpenter does in this that he kind of reminds us that it's, he's not going to rely on this trope is everyone goes oh the sun's coming up it's like the thing can they survive the night but then we see hang on a second here um, the daytime at doesn't matter this is going to happen as it happens so you can't get caught up that if they can just survive the night they'll be okay has nothing to do with it in this which I like that he kind of gives us that reminder that he's not going to play into that trap right Dunn yells too much at oh, there's He's got the well, the scene he's got, um, it's unfortunate is when he's trapped in the closet. And I wonder, yeah, that kind of been, I guess, well, maybe. Well
1: R, Ke- R. Kelly moment
2: there. He's said, trapped <laughs> yeah, in the closet, yeah. yeah it? It's like a bit of a it's meta, too, because there's a few moments when they almost allude to him maybe being uh homosexual, but um, he's trapped in the closet. And uh, I gotta say, that's maybe the only thing that I think Carpenter handles poorly in the film, yeah is how lackadaisical everyone is <clears throat> that Dunn's stuck in the closet in the room behind them. while well, these two people who have clearly been possessed by something are on the other side of the closet door. And there's a woman whose skin is melting and who, who is on the verge of birthing something. Uh, and they're just kind of like, like what will happen is like two of them will just be laying on a desk while one's chiseling it away at a wall. Yeah. <laughs> it's like motherfuckers chisel that wall away. But I will say that that does give us a wonderfully tense moment when the wall is finally broken through and Dunn's trying to bust out um, that they're grabbing him from one side and they're trying to pull him from the other
1: side. Yeah. And they and go, if, they do the old, the brick beating, the brick beating. right, man. <laughs>
2: he's, uh, he's splitting wings with that, that brick, man. Dunn gets out a lot of... Uh, a lot of uh, Anger, man.
1: Yeah, they they smack on the bricks. I like it. at one point he goes, "It's not working."
2: <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. It's amazing, man. <laughs> it's amazing. But uh, yeah, the one chick that we talked about, uh, that it's all melty face, gross. It's so gross, man, because her teeth are like black and gummy, and just her voice in this film. It's just ugh. Yeah, It's gross.
1: She's like a um, wa- she's like a walking cold sore. yeah, oh, it's so gross. Ugh. <laughs> uh,
2: who who is it that swings a hammer?
1: I don't know, that might be chipped my- that might be chip beef.
2: That might be chip beef, man. I'll tell you, someone's beef was getting chipped because my note is homeboy is fucking and I have underlined swinging that hammer. <laughs> oh no, it was done. It was done in the closet. Yeah. It was done in the closet, man. When he when they start to come towards him, he's fucking flailing with that hammer, man.
1: I always swing my hammer in the closet. Yeah, that's
2: right, man. Me too. <laughs> that beef's uh that chip beef's gotta uh yeah, gotta get down, man. Um <laughs> Uh, the mirrors work wonderfully in this film yes. oh man there's that great like creepy moment when she picks up the compact mirror like the the makeup cosmetic thing
0: mm-hmm.
2: she puts her fingers in there ugh and then to be done and to see that it's like man what the fuck is happening I need to get out of this closet now and it's uh, it's really great man and I gotta say Carpenter he maintains through like the last 20-30 minutes of the film there's there's music like the score plays throughout the back 20 of the film and You would think that to sustain that piece of music for that long would be maybe grating, but it's low enough that the voice we can still hear other voices, but it's in the background enough that it enhances the mood and atmosphere of the film. Yeah, so it works quite well. Um, Someone makes you know we always talk about our show being being fans of Harry Macho bullshit. We love the decision. Well, the the one one lady in this makes the decision.
1: Yeah. Like, yeah, she does.
2: Man, I'll tell you what. Like that, that takes bigger grapefruits than any decision anyone has to make on our show. Yep. Yeah. And I don't want to get into it if people haven't seen it, but it's such a, it's a powerful decision that that is made. And um, speaking of power, we got we got the most incredible axe throw in the history of cinema.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's like lumberjack contest axe throwing here, man. It's, it's
2: outstanding, but it's a fantastic film with a fantastic ending. And I don't want to say about anything to do with you know any of the stings at the back end, but it ends brilliantly, man. And uh, those are all my notes. I could I could keep talking about this film.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, I only got a few things to add. Uh, you know, Parker gets uh, you know Lisa Blount in bed after uh, after <laughs> only like two conversations, man. So that's the power of the mustache. Yeah, yeah I wonder he's... wonder what that mustache smelled like the morning after, you know. <laughs> Chipped beef, maybe? (laughs) 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 That's right, man. Twelve miles of bad labia. labia. That's right, man. (laughs) (laughs) Twelve miles
2: of... Ooh. (laughs) We need a Harley here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Cough's kicking in there. (laughs) That that beef's chipped all
1: right, boy. Oh, man. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. That's. I mean, I, I know that sounds crass, but that was my first thought. It was like he's kissing her, and I bet she's like, "Hmm." So that's what I smell like.
2: Yeah, well, that mustache <laughs> would have been like a glazed donut, right? <laughs> well, that's I hope so.
1: I, I hope, hope so. so. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. If you're if you're doing it right, it if does. You're
2: doing it right
0: on the wrong side of town, man. <laughs> <laughs>
1: She'd be like Zom's Hulk smash photo and another group. <laughs> <laughs> that's right man. but there is, it is this is this is a strange film in some ways because this is one of those ones where if somebody was to walk in and they saw all these uh like if they walked in during all the moments where people were like doing these like uh porn squirt moments out of their mouth they'd be like what the fuck are you watching man that's right because <laughs> i had forgotten how juicy some of the uh the the, the squirty moments are and I, I like that it has this kind of silly in a way, kind of uh, trans transference of a uh, of, um, satanic virus through through water. Uh, I, I like that. I like this kind of like juicy, and instead of, you know, because they could have used like black goop or they could have used like or blood. Slime. Yeah, or, yeah, or green slime. That's what you kind of would expect really because, I mean, that's what they're kind of selling anyway is this evil in a canister, this kind of green slime thing. So you can see where they would have went that way, but I like that they kind of just use water, which is, you know, Obviously, the source of all life, right? So,
2: well, there's that, and there's also the aspect of instead of holy water, it's like it's unholy water.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is probably what Jameson Parker had on his mustache. <laughs> so many easy jokes. <laughs> I did also like the pre-recorded images; Uh, those are really nice. Uh, I do, you know, we both talked about how he kind of drops the ball with that, but it is really—it almost feels like he's ahead of his time there with like the video shooting and stuff. Because there's like a whole era of cinema coming that kind of has that look, and uh, that's nice. Um, But I did really like the building of the team. I kind of wish you know, that he could have spent more time doing that. It's kind of a shame that he couldn't because I think that there's a lot of interesting uh, elements there and there could have been a lot more interesting conversations because obviously this type of material, say what you want to say about religion and things like that, but if you get a bunch of strangers together, you can get a some pretty crazy conversation going pretty quickly when it comes to religious material. And, you know, if everybody keeps civil about it and stuff and doesn't get crazy, there's always great conversation to be had about, you know, that kind of... Um, It's kind of like anthropological type conversation about, you know, mankind's history and stuff and and religion. And it feels like in a way that Carpenter was kind of like into this at the time because he's kind of like he's kind of like kind of it's almost like he's kind of pontificating a little bit, kind of throwing out some of his beliefs, some of his thoughts. I don't know if he I don't know if I don't know if he ever said he was atheist or if he said he was agnostic. I can't remember which, but. Yeah, you know there's a slight difference in the two obviously but uh yeah there is you know either way you know teach their own i always say you know as long as you're not you know trying to throw it down my throat um <laughs> like there's a joke there but no more no more jokes please <laughs> but uh yeah no it's it's, it's 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 a pleasant enough film which is weird because i also had these memories of this film being a lot more gory uh and it's it's, it's been it's probably been 10 years since i watched this movie sure and um it was kind of a realization that I thought that it was this kind of like gore film that he was kind of trying to like recapture some of that stuff he did with a thing. And it's funny because there's not really that much gore. There's some bug stuff and there's some nasty (laughs) moments with, uh, some makeup appliances and stuff, but it's not like it's a juicy movie. It's not, well, not blood way anyway, not in a blood way. It's, it's actually a pretty simple horror film. And, uh, I think it works. You know, one of the things we didn't talk about, really, is the score. The score is really effective. It's really simple John Carpenter score, and uh, I think it works. You know, it's at this really simple, um, I can't remember kind of how it goes, and I was going to actually put some of that music, I think, on um, the, uh, the, uh, the show this week, but I, I forgot to grab some of it. But um, I really like how easy and simple it is, and it's got kind of like this kind of dreamy, type the fog type stuff when they're like at the campus and stuff, and then it kind of builds with like that underwriting like rhythm beat that Carpenter likes to use, like that do, 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 do. You know how he likes to do that and play a little synth over it and stuff to build tension and stuff. And he does that well. You know, he's always done that well. I think, you know, as time has gone on, we realize more and more, and me and you kinda of talked about this, and this is how I'll sum this all up, is that John Carpenter really is the the horror filmmaker of his generation. And um uh, I know that you kind of talked about how you know, you know, world cinema starts to get a little bit more complicated because you kind of like Argento's highs more than you like, you know, kind of Carpenter's highs. But at the same time, Carpenter's lows are better than Argento's lows, right? I mean,
2: well, yeah, it's like just like we said. I feel like Argento is Coppola to Carpenter's Scorsese in that his he was more consistent and he was more varied in his output. (laughs) He did everything. Carpenter did everything, man. Like post I mean, he did it all, man. I yeah. mean, other than maybe like uh, a western, but he did westerns without setting them in the West.
0: Mm-hmm,
2: um, so I feel like, yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah,
1: it's a shame he. You know, he did. Does, he doesn't hasn't done a western. Like it's a. It really is a shame that he just hasn't. You know, said you know what I'm. You know, I'm, I'm toward the end of my career here. You know, I'm just going to do one more film. I'm going to make the western I always wanted to make, and uh, that's it. And even if it's a a failure or whatever. Uh maybe that'll that'll, you know, get that itch out of the way that he always had because you know, he had so many Western influences on his horror films, obviously. So Yeah, so yeah, that's all my thoughts on Prince of Darkness and uh we'll see what your scores and make or breaks and stuff are. I had a little trouble with the make or break on this one.
2: Well, I kinda cheated. I couldn't go with one scene, so I went with the last thirty minutes of this film. Oh, yeah.
1: because, <laughs> that's what I ended up doing too. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, because I mean it, it starts off strong and it's like a slow burn. It just keeps building and building and building. And there's never any like over the top moments in this film. There's moments that are punctuated by things, but I- I'd said to you, you and I have been watching horror films for 30 years in your case, even more than 30 years. Mm. Um, and for, and I was, I had like a knot in my stomach watching this film again, and I've seen it a handful of times. So for a horror film to give me a knot in my stomach says something. Yeah. Um, my MVT as a result of that is the atmosphere. Um, I think it's just, it's, it's so incredible. It's like, it feels like the end of the world and these guys don't even know it. The stakes are so high and they don't realize it. Um, but because th- it never feels like hero moments, it just feels like people trying to do the right thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, and my score for film's an 8.25, man. I think this is probably alongside Starman, his most overlooked,
1: underappreciated film yeah I could agree with you on that. I could it kind of like it's it's weird how when it came out, people kind of turned against it a little bit. I got to admit though i didn't I didn't really like almost all of the advertising for this film, like the posters and things I didn't really care for. I kind of like that image a little bit of the kind of drawn face and stuff. But
2: um, I'm very it, lukewarm on it, too, to be honest.
1: Yeah, but it's, it's just, I don't know, the advertising was a big downfall for this movie. Yeah. Then they kind of retried to sell it, kind of resell it as, you know, Alice Cooper heavy on the poster, like you said. And that doesn't work either. So I, I don't really know if they knew where they were going with what they were trying to sell with that movie, with this movie. I mean, I just don't think they really knew. I got I mean, it's to the point to where I actually think that the, you know, I know you've talked about the kind of Shout Factory stuff before. I actually think I like that cover more than I like any of the other covers for the film. (laughs) Well,
2: it was one of the few times I didn't flip the cover from the old cover to, (laughs) or from the new to the old.
1: Yeah, because the old one is just not that great. So, uh, okay, my make or break is also the finale. Uh, My MVT, did you say Carpenter was your MVT? Atmosphere. Atmosphere, nice, nice. Well in a way carpenter you know responsible for that atmosphere so i'll go with that i really think he kind of handles this material well and uh so i do think because i don't think any actor really stands out in the film to me i think everybody's kind of on equal billing and stuff so nobody really pops out there but uh gary kibbe does do some nice work with the uh the uh photography and stuff and he worked with the one in the mouth of madness as well so they kind of got a similar look in a lot of ways Absolutely. And yeah, you're right,
2: man. The, the, I think one of the things we always talk about is how well Carpenter does ensemble casts.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does. He does them well. He does them well. I think this might be, out of all of his ensemble casts, this might be, this one's good, but I think it might be, no, actually I think Village of the Dam might have the weakest, but this one might be, because I mean I think Ghost of Mars has got a great cast. I think, uh, even The Ward, I think some of those actresses are really good, but I think the film's not good. So anyway. My score is just a little bit lower than yours. It's an eight out of ten. Uh, Prince of Darkness, John Carpenter, Alice Cooper song, rock and roll. Yeah, I got to quit doing that voice. That's going to be—it's way too addictive now. <laughs> is that—is that Jeff doing that promo? Is that him? I think it is. yes. Yeah. yeah. Congrats to him. I love it. All right. Uh, so that is our review of Prince of Darkness. Almost an hour on Prince of Darkness alone. So. We're going to take a short break and talk about a little Camille 2000, chosen by Tide. Toys of Tides. Yeah. All right, we'll be back right after this.
0: American Dream. He's just a common man. The American Dream does the road. I'm coming to you live in a living color. To you, the American people, a podcast called Silver and Gold Daddy. You know, that the American dream. Dusty Rhodes knows how to bring home the gold, Daddy. And just like Henry Silver sticking Barbara Boucher's head inside a sow hanging from the ceiling, Silver and Gold will stick it to you. Stick it to your ears, stick it to your mouth, your eyes, your nose, Daddy, and all points in between. They'll take your listening pleasure and stick it between a thousand caucus hanging from the ceiling, Daddy. Silver and Gold. We talk about movies and shit. Find us on iTunes or silverandgold.com.
1: There was maybe making my headphones vibrate.
2: Nice. I need to listen to that soundtrack now, man.
1: Yeah, tickled my eardrums just like the American Dream. Thus they rolled that ass. <laughs> <laughs> I love the uh, I love that American Dream uh, theme uh, music. I love it so much. Amazing, He's just man. a common man. common man. Yeah, I love it.
2: Remember, uh, what was her name, Mabel? Yeah, no, yeah. no, no, no what was uh, it? Mabel, what was it uh, uh, polka dots? <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> what was her name? Fuck. We're showing our our lack of uh. We're showing oh, our lack well. of yeah, our lack of wrestling knowledge here. Now
2: I'm googling Dusty Rhodes valet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> sapphire, <laughs> sapphire. Yeah. Oh man, we just got chained by the silver and gold community just Sheen. now. They're <laughs> fucking the shitting all over summer us summer right now, man. God. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> we suck, Daddy. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so, okay. So our next film is Camille 2000. Now this was chosen by a good friend of the show, Todd, uh, the master reviewer, as I like to call him. He does a lot of our print or uh, blog reviews and uh does a great job of them we should say and we got to meet him this past fall and it was great it was everything it could have been and more the best the
2: brewmaster of the gttmc oh yeah
1: god i need some more of that shit
2: as fine a gent as we've had the pleasure of meeting truly.
1: summer ale man i could have poured it in my butthole I'm never <laughs>
2: could have poured it in chaka khan's butthole oh,
1: yeah it's good to know that uh, there's there's people you meet in life who can complete your sentences, and you know that uh, you're made for each other. It's good to know that you're one of those people for me.
0: Yeah, man.
1: <laughs> you poured in my Daniela Gobel. Oh. <laughs> All right, right. so Radley Metzger uh, directed this in 1969. It says, Magalit, a beautiful woman of affairs, falls for the young and promising almond, but sacrifices her love for him for the sake of his future reputation. What <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: else? more the Udo cure, maybe. I don't know. Okay. All right, so, uh, yeah, I've never seen this. You've never seen this, I'm assuming. Have you ever seen any Radley Metzger?
2: No, I've always meant to see the Licorice Quartet and this and a few others, but um, I was glad that Todd picked it so I could kind of knock it off the list. And he's a filmmaker alongside, for some reason, I think I'd said to you, and I don't know why, but I always mixed him up with um, Robert Downey. Not Robert Downey Jr., Robert Downey Sr., of Putney Swope fame.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't
2: know why I did that, but maybe I'd read some articles early on. I think they worked in the 60s and and the 70s. I don't know. Maybe that's why they were making kind of subversive or interesting uh, film that was higher minded than maybe the subject matter would indicate.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. The the interesting thing about Radley Metzger is is that, uh, and I think I said this to you, is that if really he could have been uh, uh-huh. a uh, a a not not a common. I shouldn't say common, but he could. I think he could have been a mainstream mainstream filmmaker. Um, I don't know why he chose to work in this uh, genre. I don't know if he started there and just never got out or if, uh, and not to say it's a bad thing. I mean, if you believe in the genre and that's what you want to stay in, that's fine. But I know that he, you know, he made these kind of softcore films and then he kind of moved into hardcore. He changed his uh, name to Henry. Well, he didn't change his name, but he worked under the pseudonym Henry Paris. That's a great name. Or, yeah, it is. That's one of those great pseudonym generators right there. Henry Paris. Um, but uh, he, that, that's some of his hardcore stuff. I know one of his I always meant to see was The Cat and the Canary, because I think it's kind of like a horror film.
2: Yeah.
1: It's kind of a flesh-rending maniac is what it <laughs> is. amazing. So it sounds great. Honor Blackman and then Olivia Hussey. So I think he tried to get out of the genre a little bit, but he just never, you know, never did. And I know Mike White, I know he's done, I think they've done Score and the opening of Misty Beethoven. I think he considers both of those like great porn films and stuff. So go back and listen to those Projection Booth episodes and stuff. But Metzger... Um, visually, very interesting filmmaker, uh, no doubt. Uh, he, definitely has a, he definitely has an eye, to say the least.
2: You know who he reminds me of? And it's so funny that he does because I thought it and then I read it. And I'm glad I had it. to train in to see it is his films are so beautifully composed and, and the colors are beautifully and very specifically composed. It reminded me of a Paul Pressburger film. And he'd said that Michael Powell was a big influence for
1: him. Mm, yeah. I could see that really, I could, because I and, mean uh, Visconti too man yeah, because he, he definitely has that composition of image yeah. uh that uh, really kind of stands out in this uh genre of films, and I okay. think that's why yeah. he why he stands out so much is because of uh, the composition of image because i mean it it's it's like you know some of the great directors they have this this certain style and certain look, and Metzger definitely has that.
2: Well, yeah, and we've covered softcore on this show now. We've covered, what was that one we did, uh, the Vinegar Syndrome one. I can't even remember what it was called now.
1: Uh, the Suckers?
2: The Suckers. It's so interesting to compare this and that because, respectfully to The Suckers, I mean, it can't lace up this film's uh, go-go boots. Like, no, 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 no. This film is so beautifully uh, shot, and it's scored uh, you know, by a legend of Italian cinema, Piero Piccioni. And, you know, you, you get... Yeah, it's so bizarre that Metzger never worked more because clearly this was a skilled auteur. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't want to diminish his work in this. Or I don't want to seem like we're slamming skin films. Yeah. But I feel like someone that... He, most of his films, despite being skin films, were adapted from high-minded literary fare. And for him to take that stuff and apply it to this genre... But never, you know, get into the war- films like Ken Antonioni or one of these guys, uh, you know, uh, really uh, as someone who is an intellectual and an artist. When you have those two things at your, at your feet or at your disposal, it's a shame that you couldn't spread your talent more because he was a talented man.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one of the most interesting things about him is that he, you know, it just seems like, you know, he, he could have got out of the genre. But, again, like, you know, it's one of those weird things because you say that and it almost feels like you're... You're, you're, you're bad-mouthing the genre, but you know that's not obviously the case. I mean, I think there's room definitely for these type of films and yeah. adult films as well. But it is interesting that he never really kind of got out of the genre, especially with his eye. That That's the key. Because oh, in that genre, the, the thing about that genre is that in that genre, there is a lot of people who can just, you know, they can make the movie, but they can't make it well. <laughs> there's, a I mean?
0: lot
2: of, there's a lot of laymen, a lot of hacks.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting to me. Um, I love how this film opens. I love the kind of uh, the clicker. I love. I think it's a great touch. The kind of thing that kind of like breaks the fourth wall, and I love that wide image of them running down the steps.
2: I love it too, man. And this film, we will say, I will say, like both these films were Blu-rays this week. The last one was a decent Blu-ray. This is an, an exceptional Blu-ray. This film is absolutely enhanced by the medium. It's a beautiful film. It's been beautifully restored. Um, by gosh, what's the name of the label that put this out? It's not the Arrow Disc. It's a uh, Cynic No, um uh, I got the disc in front of me. hand. Uh called Epics. Epics. They did a great job with this. It's a great package they've put out.
1: Yes, yes. There's a lot of extras on here. There's a great commentary track, which I listened to some of. Uh I'd heard Radley, Radley uh before on uh I think he did I think uh Mike and them did an interview with him and stuff. But he's a, he's an older gentleman, but he's very mm-hmm he's very cognizant of his uh place in uh, cinema and he's got great stories I mean, he can remember everything and he's doesn't sound like an 85 year old man when you listen to him talk i can tell you that and um not that i know what a lot of 85 year old men sound like I, don't know. <laughs> I guess i'm making the assumption that almost everybody that age is senile or something but no he he, he uh he, he he remembers quite a bit and he's got great stories Um uh, but so we get we get going in our film we kind of it, it's kind of i think it's it's told it's not told out of sequence but it's told in some interesting ways um we get a little a ggtmc moment uh with uh me and you riding around in a little yellow car no doubt about that absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> that, that yellow car was so ggtmc <laughs> that was brilliant man <laughs> i was like what the hell is that thing uh I love that, uh, that one of our characters has to mime to a girl that's, like, right next to him. That instead of just yelling across, I mean, I guess it's the Italian way. In Italy, you go, me, you? But in America, it'd be like, hey, baby, why don't you get out that car there? You yeah, know, man. <laughs> Come over here and sit on my chip beef. That's right, man. Yeah. Sit on that chip. <laughs> the chip, as you said on Facebook, ago, the chippiest. That's right the, the, chippy the chippy <laughs> um, this film's kind of told in the um, it, it's it's kind of set in a future based society but it's interesting how he takes that approach and this is camille two thousand quote unquote so this is you know 1969's version of two thousand which means that we'll have a lot of inflatable pool toys for furniture that's uh, right
2: which <laughs> the, and I'm, I'm, that's one of the things I was going to say was that this nineteen sixty nine was a time when you could tack two thousand in front of your title and it would evoke futuristic uh yeah. sentiment.
1: <laughs> yeah. Sadly we never went the route of the uh we do have air mattresses, but I don't think they're clear. Uh, <laughs> seems like that would be kind of uh kind of a little slick, a little wet that's after right. after a Radley Metzger affair.
2: Ooh, and all that smoking, man, I'd be worried it was gonna pop.
1: Oh yeah, that's true. There's a lot of smoking around plastic and stuff. Isn't yeah. But there's a lot of the sexuality in this film, but it's not overt. Like, there is nudity, but it's not... I, like, I don't recall any male nudity, and I don't recall any... Is there any female pubic nudity? I, I think it's mostly all bare-breasted, or... I can't recall, though. I think so. There's
2: not too much bush in this that I can yeah,
1: recall. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's, like, right on the cusp of when things were getting ready to change, uh... As far as nudity and sex films go now, Russ Meyer was around and he was doing his thing. And and uh, I, I think there was this whole era of sex films that, you know, the next generation of filmmakers were coming from. Uh, no pun intended. intended. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it, it's interesting that a lot of those guys didn't. I mean, Meyer stayed in his genre. He never really kind of jumped out either. And uh Matt Metzger kinda stayed in his genre as well. I don't think Meyer ever went hardcore though, did he? Do you never I don't think he ever went hardcore.
2: I don't believe so, but I mean we got to see a lot of uh lot of labia. I think. We <laughs> yeah. saw labia in his films, didn't we? Didn't yeah. just
1: Bush. I think Super Vixens. I think had uh yeah, I think it had I think it had full born born nudity. I mean I can't I've seen so much nudity in my sure? life I can't even remember <laughs> you know, I can't even remember anymore who has nudity and who doesn't. Uh there's a very TMC party going on at one point here, you know, there's oh, yeah. People, there's a lot of buffets, nice spreads, uh, <laughs> some netted bikinis.
2: No, I'll tell you, man. No, that, that one netted bikini. Oh,
1: oh my yeah. god, that was hot, wasn't it? Yeah, was it wasn't worked? Jeez, man, <laughs> worked for me. Yeah, no doubt about that. Standing. Uh, I think the film. I, now I don't know enough about the source material. I think the source material is a. Uh, I can't remember who wrote that novel. Was it uh, Dumas? I think maybe Dumas. I think it was Dumas. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember the name of it, but anyway, um, I think you know that's where it's co- that's where the the material comes from. And uh, again, no pun intended. And uh, I like that he decided to tackle it that way, but I I, I don't know enough about it to really understand the. <sighs> the uh the implications of what's underneath i guess the only way i can say is kind of like the the underlying thing is is um you know be careful for what you wish for type of uh type of storytelling uh i know i sound kind of ignorant when i say that but that's i'm kind of guessing that off the top of my head um our our lead is 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 infatuated with the camille well not camille but her name is um Marguerite? Marguerite, yes. They say it a lot in the film. Well, you would like Marguerite, eh? <laughs> and uh, she is she is a striking beauty. I don't think she's the most beautiful woman in the film, but she is a striking looking lady.
2: She's a woman that, again, much like I was talking about Sophia Loren in De Sica's work last week, mm-hmm. um, I feel like seeing her living, breathing, mm-hmm. uh, she is breathtaking to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, she does have a very striking look. Great, great jawline. There's a um, a great eyes. She has great eyes, I should say. A great body as well. I mean, obviously that they're selling a little bit on that. But I mean, uh, great hair. I mean, everything. Everything's working for her and stuff. And uh, I think she was a model before, and then she kind of disappeared for a while. I think. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. I read through her biography, and she was married to a uh, dictator's son for a while, which is kind of strange. And then she, kinda she came back. Yeah, she didn't live very long. She only was she's only 44 when she passed.
2: Margaret, uh, Daniele Gobert. Yeah. Yep. Forty-four. Geez. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's weird is they gave her an Italian boy's name,
1: Daniele. Yeah. That's <laughs> well,
2: very weird. <laughs> it looks like uh, very boyish to me. That's for
1: sure. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But uh, yeah, I can't remember who that uh, son she was married to was. Trula Trujillo? Yeah. Son of uh, assassinated direct dictator of the Dominican Republic, Rafael Trujillo.
2: Ah yes, okay.
1: So yeah, she was married to him for a while, and she came back and decided to resume her uh, film career. And I, you know, I think she really is the standout in this film because I don't think the male leads are. I think they're fine, but I don't. I think they're kind of wooden in a way too. I, I did like the um, the one that's kind of infatuated with Marguerite. Uh, oh, Nino Casalino. Yeah, I like. He reminds
2: me of a George Hilton.
1: Yeah, he really does have a Hilton look, and uh, he's from
2: Umbrellas of Cherbourg, man. Huh?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's in uh, – I remember him from uh, Strip Nude for Your Killer. He's in yeah. that as well. Uh, yeah. Like most Italian actors, he's worked in every genre. <laughs> yeah,
2: good-looking guy, clean cut. Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah I think yeah. he's well cast in this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think also that I think we're maybe – part of the – I don't want to say problem, but part of the maybe the the perceived shortcomings with him come from the fact that him and Marguerite are playing off each other as very much opposite attract. She's wild and has no inhibitions free spirit and he's very much a tightly reigned you know suit-wearing man what yeah. without overstating that.
1: Yeah, he's a kind of a he's in a he's in a world where it's never really quite clear what he's doing in Rome. Not to me it wasn't quite clear, but it it seems like he's there, you know, maybe in some type of social capacity of some sort. I don't really get a professional capacity and and he, he kind of comes into this world of Marguerite and this kind of swinging 60s, even though it's set in 2000, but it's kind of got the swinging 60s kind of motif to it. Um, he was in Massacre Time, and I do not remember him in that. I don't either. Yes. Was he one of the sons? Or? He was uh, Junior Scott, Jason Junior Scott. Mm. I do so not. I might, remember. Been, I might have been right then. Yeah, I don't remember him in it at all. I mean, at all. Jesus. Huh. What is wrong with I that? I think I was right, yeah, because
2: Mr. Scott is just played by Giuseppe Arabati. So mm. I think that he was the son. I was my memory's right for once. I'll tell you what, I don't remember a, I don't remember a Chinese Undertaker in that film, Chang Yu. <laughs>
1: no, I don't either. Holy cow. Yeah, well, you know, our memories, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ooh, he's in a film called Strip First, then we talk. That's
2: uh that's the horror hound
1: uh <laughs> <Yeah>. documentary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh man, I, I need to see that film. That's an Italian film. I've never seen nor heard of it, but it's got a great Italian title, obviously. Strip Cause. first, and then we talk. It's amazing. I can't stop doing the grindhouse voice. <laughs> <laughs> Going a little deeper this time, but he he is good in the film. Just, I just I'd feel like you know he's this very he's very cardboard cutout in some ways. I mean, very good looking man, very John Philip Law slash uh, whatever. Yeah, Hilton slash, you know, somebody else maybe. But, I mean, he works uh, to play in this wide-eyed, uh, bright-eyed, Deserted. bushy-tailed, yeah, kind of a character walking into this world of bad dancing and uh, questionable drug use. Because <laughs> oh, yeah. there is some, it's, come on, there's some bad dancing in this film. Has there ever
2: been, um, like, a culture, a counterculture, I guess i say it's a counterculture, that Italians have been more fixated on than sort of the hippie counterculture yeah no. it seems like so many films from the sixties right on through to like seven late seventies <laughs> they love the counterculture
1: love yeah the they movie. do they do It is. it's true the guest Gass, John uh actor have I seen him in anything I'm sure i have i'm sure you have i'm looking I'm looking through his now. filmography right now. Is he uh that. La Cage Fools? He's in part so. two. I'm looking through just to see because I don't know if I've seen him in anything, but Kill Me Quick, I'm cold. That's another film he's in. That's that's an awesome title as well. <laughs>
2: and he was in he was in the Italian Popeye film uh called Cuore Ingiola, which is I am what I am. <laughs> yes. Oh no, I have seen I dude. I saw him recently in the film I did um by Franco Rossetti. Um, fuck, what's it called? Uh, what's the English title? Oh, about the professor who gets blackmailed. It
1: was kind of sleazy. It was really good. Uh, well, w- we should be ashamed of ourselves because he's actually in Hands of Steel. Uh, who is he? <laughs> I <laughs> don't know. I don't know. Maybe he's one of the guys in the helicopter.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. He's driving uh, Saxy around.
1: He played a character named Cooper. And in the, mil- in the movie, he's, no- he- he's billed as Robert Benn. So, I have no idea who he is in the film, and I can't remember.
2: He was in La Casual Fall 2.
1: Yeah, that's one I saw. But I, I don't know who he... You know what? He must have had a really, really small role in, uh, in uh, Hands of Steel because he's not even in the extended credits. Yeah. I have not even seen him in there. So, he must have had like, a really small role in there. Maybe he did it as a favor for Martino or something. Uh, who knows? But anyway... Um, yeah he still well no he was yeah he's still working hey how about that well 2011 anyway he was still working TV over there in Italy which a lot of these italian actors oh dude he was in Torso too fuck man we're we're, we're awful
2: we're dropping the ball from Sapphire <laughs> to Italian character, a good-looking character actor. Jeez. And it's Beardos and Badasses, the punks <laughs> who took film news underground.
1: Jesus. You know, well, we obviously don't belong on that documentary. Yeah, we're, After we're dropping the ball on uh, Roberto Biasco.
2: Biasco. Bumbling and stumbling <laughs> as uh, yeah. as Rich. Uh, oh, man, I'm making it worse. I was going to say Rich Eisen, as Chris Berman would say. <laughs> Jesus. Oh,
1: me. Okay. 12 miles of bad road and we suck. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, um, but I, I, here's what I got to say about this film. I, I don't, I had some issues with the film and most of it involves the length. And again, no pun intended. It's
2: Yeah, yeah. It's a bit long. It's two at well,
1: long. Yeah, no it's, it's
2: 100. two hours <laughs> long.
1: Yeah, Hulk Smash! It's uh, 100- a <laughs> hundred. Well, this cut is actually one hundred and thirty minutes. I think this. I think the original cut was one hundred and twenty. This is actually one hundred and thirty. I think. So, um oh, there goes my voice again. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh Hulk Smash!
2: <laughs> <laughs> now again, you're doing the the Paul Lind, uh,
1: Yeah. <laughs> Hulk Smash. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> But, I, but I, in saying that, though, I do think that I, what I like about this film is he really makes the dollar stretch. Although, I, I got to ask, you know, I mean, I, no pun I, yeah. <laughs> we were really juvenile this morning. Uh, I don't really know. Uh, I, I, I'm i curious as to what Todd really wanted us to, to see, What what he wanted us to talk about this film for. So hopefully he'll kind of write an email or at least talk to us behind the scenes and see what it was that he really wanted us to get into with this film uh other than maybe he just might be a big radley metzger film and just wanted us to do a metzger but i haven't spoke with todd about this pick or anything so i'd be curious uh and I, as i'm sure you would as well uh Absolutely. what's uh what what the uh, driver for the pick was you know because um, there's always a bit of a driver for a pick you know even if it's just that you love a film and you want to hear two people talk about it or something so but it is interesting that Metzger didn't get more mainstream work, and I, I, w- I really wish he would have. Um, there's nobody else in this film that I really recognize now, of course, saying that and after going through Roberto Bias- Bisakos' filmography and realizing that I'm a cunt because I don't remember anybody. I can't believe I m- can't even remember him in Torso, which is like one of my favorite giallos, if not my favorite giallo. <laughs> yeah, way. it's top three for <laughs> me, man. And I can't even remember him in the fucking movie, which is a shame. <laughs> I'm going to go back and look at the... What, who did he fucking play in Torso? Wait a minute. Wait. I, I feel like I'm being challenged by IMDb here. You fucker. Oh, Stefano Vanzi.
2: That sheds no light on anything.
1: It does not. There's a lot of Stefanos in Giallo. <laughs> yes, there is. <laughs> yes, my chip beef is known as Stefano. <laughs> <laughs> where,
2: where did your chip beef know Stefano? <laughs> yeah. Intimately.
1: Ooh. Uh I'm looking, Jesus. I think I've seen him in a other film too I think, I think he might have been in uh, what's his name Romeo and Juliet Oh fuck what was that Italian oh uh, the
2: uh, Franco Zeffirelli one
1: Zeffirelli yeah I think he may have been in that as well fuck man I'm really dropping the ball on my Roberto Visiaco <laughs> yeah, we're doing it right tonight man yeah we're not doing it right <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't really have a whole lot more to add to the film though this film was rated X when it came out which I think is kind of uh, looking back on it I think it's kind of stupid uh, just honestly, I don't really think there's anything in this film to me that, uh, that warrants an X other than the era it came out in.
2: Yeah. Well, it's a sign of the times, I think. I think that nowadays it would be rated R.
1: Yeah. The film score is great. I do like the score by, um, uh, P- P- was it Piccioni? P- Piccioni? P- is that how you say his name? Piccioni, yeah. Piccioni. P.I. P.I. Piccioni. Um, and, uh, I, I do like the look of some of the actors, although I think some of the actors, the, the, obviously the homosexual actor is way over the top.
2: Uh, and he is, might be the worst dancer uh, we've had on the show in some time.
1: Yeah, he's up there he's with, dreadful. He's up his there with suits, Pacino.
2: <laughs> he is. And his suits are very Don Cherry-esque.
1: Oh man, they really are. He does wear a uh, neckerchief though, I think at one point. Yeah, there's a few
2: ascots in the film. This I'm very curious what Keith Allison thinks of this film because there's a lot of sartorial choices <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: that I think you would appreciate. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I, I some consider this film a masterpiece. I, I can't I can't go that road. I just don't know if I don't get it in some ways or if something was as something, you know, just distracted me about the film or something, but I don't see the I don't see the the masterpiece aspects of the story. Um, I don't know if you do. Obviously, I haven't heard your talk on the film yet, and we're getting ready to right hear it in a few, but uh, I do think it's a very interesting piece. Whoa, that was loud. <laughs> you there? Yeah, I'm here. Whoa. Did you like to smile at the camera and your tooth I, sparkled or something?
2: My <laughs> shipped the beef is
1: ready.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, some shawarma. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love shawarma. <laughs> yeah, uh, I do too. It's not a metaphor. <laughs> that isn't a metaphor. Uh, although I wouldn't want to get near anything uh, physically that would look like a shawarma. Yes. Uh, <laughs> 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 anyway, uh, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really. I mean, I don't really have a whole lot more to add. I think this disc is worth the purchase, though, because I think the special features are great. There's actually some some behind the scenes photography, uh, like you know, before the era when they actually thought anybody was going to use behind the scenes material, like shot Super Eight, and Metzger talks over top of that and stuff. And that's interesting as well. Uh, I really love that opera house, too. That opera house looked great. Oh, man, it's beautiful. Yeah, it really did. But, I mean, I had some problems with the narrative of this film. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I see a lot of people rating this film highly. But, I I mean, I I just – there was moments when I got bored with it. I'm not going to lie. So, your thoughts on Camille 2000?
2: My thoughts are 1969. It's in full swing. Uh, I think he stretches a dollar. Big time. Right. All the great directors can. When right. they're forced to work with limited budget, they find a way to make it happen.
1: Yeah. Um, Bradley Metzger. Such that dollar make you holler, brah.
2: That's right. Well, he does. And he makes. Um, I got to get. Now I got to get the, the the Filipino hooker voice out of my head. Um, <laughs> that's what that sounded like, man. Like a, a short, squat Filipino hooker. <laughs>
0: um, well, you know. My favorite kind. <laughs>
2: um, I feel like uh, Metzger makes what is, for all intents and purposes, a very European film, despite being an American filmmaker. (laughs) He works with almost an entirely Italian cast and crew. And that's the thing, man. I really feel like, like you said, not to bemoan uh, the point or belabor it too much. I feel like he was such a talented filmmaker that it would have been nice to see him work outside the the genre more, because he was so talented, man. The guy is a really, really good filmmaker. Um, He used to, now I can tell you doing a little research on him, he used to cut trailers for Janus. Oh, did he? I've, I've never said Janus aloud. I assume it's Janus and not Janus.
1: <laughs> uh, oh, please don't touch my Janus.
2: My Janus. <laughs> uh, that's right, man. <laughs> or your Janus. Um,
1: <laughs> oh. uh,
2: but he used to cut trailers for them. He cut a lot of their Swedish, Swedish. We almost said sweet dick, fuck Freudian slip. Um, uh, he cut a lot of trailers for the Bergman films of the time. And then he opened, um, he had his own production house, Audubon. Nice. And they released I Spit on Your Grave, right? Yeah, so, yeah. I, you know, really I, I, interesting. It,
1: it's interesting uh, because, you know, Metzger's, like I said, he's one of those <laughs> filmmakers where I hear other people talk about him. But I'm, other than the image, I think it's the only other Metzger I've seen. Well, no, I've seen, I've seen Misty Beethoven, but I've never seen anything else. And oh, I, I saw Misty Beethoven was when I could, when I finally got away with written porn at a <laughs> video store. <laughs> That's right. But uh, I've only seen it one time, and uh, I've never seen Score or some of the other kind of adult films he did. But, uh, yeah, so I kind of – it's always interesting when we do a film from a filmmaker I'm not really very inter- – uh, not interested, but uh, familiar with, because I don't really know where to go with his kind of uh, – his well, yeah. his Janus, so to speak. His
2: Janus, yeah. I feel like uh, – <laughs> I feel like – I bet you James McCormick can, can tell us if uh, Janus is <laughs> – <laughs> is correct. It's um,
1: my new nickname, Lou. Yanis Chip Beef. Yanis Chip Beef.
2: Um, but it's interesting. Oh fuck, man! I'm derailing myself here. <laughs> I feel like Danielle Gobert is radiant on the screen. I feel like uh, Metzger shoots her, and I don't know if he does this way with all of, does this with all of his female leads in his films.
1: Yeah, the ones I've seen, he
2: does. Absolutely beautiful, absolutely radiant. Mm-hmm. Uh, he shoots her in the way that great directors shoot their muses, the way Penny Cruz is shot by Almodovar, the way De Sica, as I talked about, shot Sophia Loren, any number of great directors shoot their female uh, leads. Um, yeah, there's a lot of GGTMC fashion in this. People, oh, yeah. Dudes, dudes wearing vests and ascots with no shirts.
1: Yeah. Um, Maybe that's whole, what Todd was going for. Maybe he just, you know, that's the, the the whole GGTMC aesthetic of the film.
2: Well, that and I think you're getting a, a very skilled auteur working in a genre that's a hard sell for us. Mm-hmm. and And what happens when uh, an immovable object meets an irresistible force. (laughs) Um, You to see what would come out on top. And interesting note, the house they used, which was absolutely a stunning house, because I feel like this is very much a film, I feel like, now that I'm talking about this, that in some ways there's a through line with this and The Great Beauty. Um, Because this is very much a beautiful film that deals with a lot of some of the similar things, some some similar themes, certainly, some universal human themes. And the house in this film, anyway, what I was getting ready to say was G- the famous actress Gina Lola Bruguera's house, her actual house. Oh, yeah. Must have been some fucking shindigs at
1: that pad. Yeah. Some smelly mustaches you, in that place. <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> there would have been a
2: whole lot of smelly mustaches in that piece,
1: man. Like a pack, of, like a 13 pack, a dozen like, glazed donuts in that yeah, basket. man. a baker's dozen. <laughs> That's right, man. Well, I just noticed um, because of the cough I've had lately, my, my laugh sounds like uh, Orson Welles' laugh. Have you ever heard Orson Welles laugh?
2: I don't know if I have. Gonna, I've heard him narrate Transformers. Yes.
1: But, uh, I'm going to look and see if I can find an audio clip of Orson Welles' laugh. It's one of the most doing? infectious laughs. It's amazing. I love Welles' voice. Yeah. Um,
2: Bava should have shot a Jolly at that house.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or Martino.
2: <laughs> yeah, or Martino.
1: Um, or even Argento, we should say. I, I only
2: say Bava, Bava from the standpoint of um, the way that... Metzger composes and frames his shot so meticulously feels more like Baba than does the other guys. They're a little more frayed around the edges. Here,
1: let's, let's see if we can get this laugh going here. Hang on, let me see. I don't know, let me, I don't know if this, I don't know what this clip will sound like, so give me a second. I for the
0: newspapers politics on politics anymore. That's one of the things that say have abandoned. They still do magic? Yes, for money. Well, only for money.
2: Only for money. Yes, for a no. lot of money. Yes, or well, even for a little money. I'm so pleased
0: really? to be asked
1: to do <laughs> magic. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's got one of the great laughs, man. Oh, that's, uh,
2: that's amazing because he goes like zero to sixty in yeah. no time. Immediately, he's in like a yeah. full bore laugh.
1: Oh yeah, he's just a jovial, just a man that loves life. I mean, I love Orson about dinner with Orson Welles, man. Oh yeah, so would I because he's got my appetite. Yeah,
2: man, be throwing down. A Clams, ribs.
1: I told you, Bogdanovich said that one time they had lunch and he ate six whole chickens. <laughs> Jesus,
2: that's a lot of chicken. Man.
1: Yeah. Evidently, he liked to eat steak so much. I, actually, this is a little bit of Orson Welles trivia that I didn't know. He liked to eat steak so much he ate it every night. And uh, oh, of course, man. that could be uh, that That'd could be, terrible, be. Yeah, well, that's well, you know, he would have a heart attack. I mean, he was a heavy man anyway, but. Uh, yeah, all that steak and bourbon. That's another one of his big things was steak and bourbon. So I think uh you know, every She's night he's he's eating like multiple. he wasn't eating like one steak, he was eating, you know, like multiple steaks. A whole lot of ribeye. <laughs> yeah. So to, um, the, a whole lot of brown. And eye. I just you know ooh, whoa. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> Man, the goatee getting a little stanky. <laughs>
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> it's like, a fucking, it's like a dipped
1: ice cream cone, man. Oh yeah.
2: Were we talking about an ice cream man earlier?
1: Yeah, we were freezing. Losing my shit, man. Jeez. I got to cough, Mister
2: Softy. Um, oh Jesus. Ooh. Um, I got to get through this. I'm stumbling and bumping across the finish line. Oh. Ebert hated this film, which I found interesting. I, he. Like I read his review.
0: Oh yeah,
1: he
2: cannot. And I know. I know you're trying to hold it together right now. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> I got. <lie. laughs> he could
2: not hide his disdain from this for this film from word one of the review. Okay. I mean, he thrashes this film, which is very peculiar to me because he's. <coughs> even though I don't always agree with his reviews, he tends to be a relatively even-handed uh, film critic and. For him to lash this film the way he does, it's it's baffling. Yeah.
1: There's the, there's a few films that he uh, that I've read the film reviews that he's done where um he has lashed a film, and I've always been a surprised that uh, somebody with such an open mind film wise can can uh, can which we call it can blast a film like he can.
2: So across the board, it's it's almost like it, that film caught him on a bad day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's what it was because otherwise, you know, we'd like we try to find the positives in every film. You know, um, I love the line in this film when Camille, Camille, when Marguerite and Armand are together near the beginning and she says to him, love me now and let that be enough.
1: Wow. I just read a little bit of this Ebert. Yeah, that's a great line. I love the Ebert review where he says, well, let me just read this first couple paragraphs. It is said that Orson Welles saw John Ford's stagecoach 200 times before directing Citizen Kane, which is actually true. I've, I've actually heard Orson Welles say he saw it multiple hundreds of times. He thinks it's a, he always thought it was the perfect film, Stagecoach.
2: Oh, maybe I was, oh man, I think my through line with Hawks and Ford just got smashed
1: because I thought that <laughs> said Metzger.
0: Yeah, maybe. Ah. I'll do my in Wells life. <laughs> 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 All
1: right, according to a press release here on my desk, Bradley Metzger has seen John Houston's The Treasure of Sierra Madre. You, you may have got, yeah.
2: <laughs> I, got my, I got my Johns mixed up. <laughs> yeah.
1: oh. 103 times. That was not enough, he says. I think Metzger was better, or worse, that is, back when he had only seen it maybe 20 times blinking his eyes as he emerged into the sunlight he directed i a woman which was the worst movie of all time up until then <laughs> Jeez. ooh ouch. that's what i'm saying it's
2: he's just scathing review mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it really is it really is i mean i'm looking through it and it's and maybe that's why todd picked it maybe he wanted to see you know maybe he's a big uh, ebert fan he's like why why did ebert hate this movie although i've there's other movies ebert's reviewed that i under, that i love that he hated as well so it's not it's, oh, yeah! It's not unusual for him to do that.
2: Yeah, it's very strange. Um but uh well then I'm going to slightly revise my my theory earlier on that both Carpenter and Metzger uh worshipped at the foot of, of master American filmmakers who were steeped in American aesthetic and iconography. Yeah, with Houston and uh Hawks.
1: Yeah, it should be said for those who don't know, Brad Bradley, uh, even though he worked in Europe a lot, he's actually New from, Yorker. from he's from the Bronx. So he's <laughs> yeah. uh you can definitely hear it when what he talks. Down? It's funny how people who come from the Bronx, because I've been to the Bronx, and and you know it's it's funny how you can get out of the Bronx, but you never really leave the Bronx in your voice. Because even Stanley Kubrick, even in his late years, still had the Bronx in his voice. Yeah, that Brooklyn Bronx uh, or that New York uh, sound. It's funny how you never really lose that.
2: Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, but yeah, I think that I love the sentiment in this film. That the heart wants what it wants. Uh, you know, people are prisoners to their own demons, and yeah when you combine those two things, you're kind of, you're in this beautiful car with wonderful scenery and you're willingly and sort of knowingly driving off a cliff, an yeah. emotional cliff.
1: I want to make sure I was right. I was right. Stanley Kubrick was born in the Bronx or raised in the yeah. Bronx.
2: <laughs> yeah. He was, uh, yeah. So it's, uh, but yeah, I just, I love that, that sentiment in this film. And I'm very much a romantic and a sentimental person. So I think that certainly, um, worked for me quite well
1: mm-hmm. no you know, it works I, I like that uh, reckless <laughs> abandon and
2: i think that's why the beauty works because i think the beauty for me very much is a metaphor for the beauty of our youth and you know i think we all have coulda woulda shouldas in life and love lives and mm-hmm. uh yeah. love lives i should say and i feel like this there's times we've all been in relationships that we we wanted to work mm-hmm. and we knew they weren't going to work but we were yeah. going to ride them out till the end
1: yeah some of those uh destructive relationships we've all been yeah, in. Absolutely. Those, those, yeah. silver those silver and gold relationships. Silver and gold relationships. As, uh, John, um, as uh, Zom always talks about.
2: Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of... <laughs> there's Orson.
1: Yeah. Uh, oh, i got to get rid of this cough. It's amazing.
2: They get rid of the cough and keep the laugh. <laughs> yeah. um, there's a lot of soft focus. What's amazing is you and I often talk about the 80s being a hard time for Blu-rays because soft focus photography was so prevalent, this is a film that there's a lot of soft, so, soft, ugh, <laughs> suffering, succotash. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of soft focus, but it's still beautifully um, restored.
1: Yeah, no, it looks great.
2: It looks great, man. And um, and yeah, uh, Marguerite in this film, she—it's funny because she almost dares him or anyone to love her. And I have to say, man, a lot of beautiful, like really beautiful women I know, when they're younger. A lot of them are like this, man. They get in this vicious cycle of bad decisions because their sandbox is a lot larger. Mm -hmm. Their emotional sandbox is a lot larger than most people's because a beautiful woman can have what they want in the world, world, without question. Um, And in saying that, there's a lot more room for heartache and heartbreak and, and a lot of things like that. So she's almost daring someone to love her because she's... Seen herself go through this kind of vicious cycle before, and you know, she's had a lot of guys in that inflatable bed.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah, she is. Yeah, I get a bit of a barbarella. A lot, 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 of, lot of chickens in that bed. A lot of chickens. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. You, you know, that's a good call. I forgot all about that. I did get a Barbarella vibe. Now that I think about it, I totally didn't. I totally missed that.
2: Tart totally. I was going to say tartly.
1: Tartly. <laughs> tartar
2: tartar sauce. <laughs> Tartars. Um,
1: oh man, I am very giggly this morning. Me too. Uh, <laughs> I feel like
2: one of the things they use to convey Castelnuovo Castelnuovo's state of mind and his just his outlook is the suits he wears are very subdued in a time of bright colors and patterns. He wears a lot of grays and browns, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and um, you know, I just feel like they, they use that to evoke what he really he really is. I got to tell you, I love the seaside stuff when they take that trip to like the coastal Italy. Yeah, it's nice. So it Naples or where it was. They're frolicking around. There's boats. And I feel like that moment really captures in a bottle kind of the high points and the, like the the warm memories that people have about the high points of any given sort of emotional relationship. Kind of that sweet, sunny feeling of love.
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: It's uh, it's it's really, really captured quite well. And I have to say that uh, Castelnuovo is a man with, with fantastic taste. He's rocking a crisp, crisp pair of white Chuck Taylors. Yeah. So it's very nice. Um, I hated, there's a gambling scene near the back end, which of course is certainly, uh, you know, you can read the subtext of what that's really going for, you know, big picture of life and then the gamble that that uh, Armand has taken. And I have to say, I hated that shit talker. Oh, yeah. across the table from I wanted to punch that guy in the face, man. <laughs> yeah. That guy was the worst yeah. motherfucker. Um, I love the bookend, the way the film bookends with that scene on those steps. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, 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 Hang on one
1: sec, sorry. This is the American dream, yeah. A little singing from Sammy for all y'all out there. Yeah. Now I can experiment with my voice a little bit while Will's away. Total lack of professionalism.
0: <laughs> um.
2: And that's why we're usually done recording at 7 a.m., 7.40. There was almost a bunkhouse brawl upstairs between my sons. One had to pee and one had to poo. And uh, my youngest has a quicker first step, it seems, than my oldest. uh, Yeah, so. That's
1: the way it goes. I didn't
2: deal with that. It had to be Dave Hebner, man. Get in there. Um, But anyway, my last note uh, was I feel like the the way a book ends on the stairs yeah, I love when things when some films harken back to a scene before things go sideways
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know to sort of the purity of the, the initial moments of, yeah. of the film um, and I think again this is just a, a superb package and this label called Epics I wasn't very familiar with them but I want to see what other releases they've put out because they do a fantastic
1: job yeah. I like that shot too of uh, him and uh, Marguerite and then you look over their shoulder and you can see the funeral in the background Yeah, it's really nice of course, you know, you shoot shooting Rome, you know, we just talked about this with the the, uh, the Great Beauty and stuff. you shoot shooting Rome. I mean, you're you're getting a lot of money right there. A lot of Big time. stretching that dollar, stretching that euro. That uh, what is what is Italian money? The lira. It was the lira. Yeah, and that's euro still. Everybody's got a euro now. Euro. They
2: got the euro now. Yeah. But but back then it would have been the lira.
1: I can give you five euros to stu- t- touch my Yanis. my Yanis. my oh man <laughs> all right so okay um yeah i don't know what else they put out on their label yet either so i'd be curious if you're looking at it right are you looking at it right now
2: i was uh okay I okay
1: this. wait um, make a break for this film uh, i'm gonna go with the party scene i really like the party scene i like that uh these bored uh there's this moment where they're all just kind of like laying around listening to some jams and they just seem bored with their drugs and their And their uh, decadence and all their craziness and stuff. And and I just like that. I like that you get this kind of straight up and down character in the mix of all that. Um, My MVT, got to go with Metzger on this. I don't really know if there's anybody in any Metzger film that I would go for outside of Metzger. So I don't know. I I, I haven't seen enough. I almost picked uh, the image once uh, for us to cover because it got released on Blu-ray not too long ago. So, oh, a little belch there. Sorry. Excuse me. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm looking at Cult Epic's website now, and uh, yeah, I got some stuff. Hmm. They really do have some stuff. Oh, they released Cheeky, the uh, Tinto Brass film. Nice. And a few other things. In a Glass Cage, stuff like that. And, uh, oh, oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. But uh, my score for the film... I got to go 6.75. I really had problems with mostly, most of my problems with this one. <laughs> most of my problems mostly have to deal with the narrative of the film. I just kind of would lose track uh, of where I'm at. Not not so much as the story, but I just kind of stopped caring sometimes. So. Ooh, could
0: turn that <laughs> yeah. off, bro?
1: yeah. Oh, man, that's a different type of adult film. Anyway,
2: it Absolutely. It's like that Belgian one, Bastis de Noches or whatever.
1: I wish I would have had that sound effect <laughs> perfectly timed when we first said Janus. <laughs> but that's my thoughts on uh, Camille 2000. You said your score was? 6.75. Cool. My
2: make or break is? Um, I think
1: the length really
2: hurts it for me the length no pun intended yeah. I can't stop with that I gotta stop that's what she said <laughs> yeah. uh, I gotta stop um I feel like gosh there's a lot of beautiful scenes in this film I would agree that the length of this film is is a bit much they could have trimmed I feel like about 20 minutes off it I felt like it would have rewarded the viewer I think a fair bit more and I think Metzger was a, a good enough filmmaker that he could have conveyed what he wanted to with 20 minutes less mm-hmm. um but my or break of the book ends I feel like it, it grabs your attention brilliantly and I feel like it, um, it, it punctuates sort of, a, has a very bittersweet feeling at the back end
1: yeah. as yeah. well.
2: Uh, my MVT is the beauty of the film. You know, I'm a sucker for beautiful films. This is a, a beautiful from, um, the locations they shoot to the production design, to the costumes, to the cast to the score. Everything about this one is beautiful. Yeah. And um, in saying that, my score for the film is a 7.75. Oh, nice. Um, I quite like it. I could probably go 8. Um, I really did like it. I definitely wholeheartedly agree that it's too long, though. Um, but this film really grabbed my eye as far as Medscare. But again, I, I, we've said it a number of times. I think we can only lament now that he wasn't more active outside of this. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, he could have made some really fascinating films with an eye... Uh, and, and an intellect like that so you know but i'll have to see what he presents in his in his genre um i guess otherwise and, and yeah i know our good friend josh retardo is a huge fan too he said next time we do a medzger he wants to come on so nice i, I
1: actually looked at <clears throat> Cold epics website they have a Medsker's uh, erotica psychedelia pack which has yeah. uh score the licorice quartet and camille 2000 as uh, releases all on blu-ray
2: Right, right. So Yeah, that'd be good. We'll have to maybe dig in. I would, I would like to. Um, yeah, you know, like I said, I think there's enough there, you know. And this was a late night viewing for me, so you'd think you know, it was a bit dreamy. And um, uh, <laughs>
1: they also released uh, uh, Tito Brass's film "Kick the Cock," which I love the title of him. <laughs>
2: Absolutely love the title, hate the action.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do my, you got my Orson Welles going again. Damn it! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus! Oh, they did some uh, some. Uh, Oh, okay. They got a little nunsploitation. Nice. Nice. I'm definitely going to look into this uh, a little bit more. Yeah. Well,
2: Just that some... label has got my attention.
1: Yeah, they really do. They do some, uh, there's some, uh, what's his name too? Uh, Valerian Borachek. Oh, uh, nice. Who we've covered on the show. Nuns, yeah. uh, Behind Covenant Walls. I think it's his film. So, yeah. I'm going to look in more into their, uh, their selection. They got, they got a lot of Tinto brass in there. A lot of Tinto brass. So, if you're into the brass, there you go. The cheeky brass. All right, so that's the show this week. What are we doing next week, we know? Uh, Toys for Tots? Yeah, we're going to keep the TT train rolling. Uh, what, what, which ones are we doing? Do we know? Uh, uh, uh. Let's do, uh, well, you know, we'll see. I, I'm pulling up the uh, Gmail right now. Let's see. We'll see. We'll, what We'll make the selection right here, right now. Let's do, uh, let's do Wendy's pick of uh, Catherine Berlier's, uh Romance. Oh, nice for the Rocco Saffredi. <laughs> yeah, A little Rocco Siffredi, and then we'll we can do uh, what do you want to do. You want to do uh, let's just do let's just do the next one we got. Uh, we'll do Kelly's uh, pick of uh, Michael Mann's Miami Vice.
2: Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, so
1: we'll do Miami Vice and uh, Romance. Should be two interesting picks, to say the least. Absolutely, as I always like to say, the least.
0: <laughs> 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 Motherfuckers.
1: All right. I I should also say um, somebody emailed us and asked us about a film. We'll 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 talk about that next week. Uh, Somebody emailed us and asked us if we could help uh, name a movie. Uh, So I I don't know if I can. So I'm going to put this out there real quick before we get off the air. Uh, This is from a gentleman or maybe a female named Jody. I don't know. Uh, They think uh, think uh, really really appreciate the podcast. But the question is this: Do either of you possibly remember the name of a movie you reviewed? Okay, I can't remember if it was on a recent episode where one of the you remarked that one of the characters possibly a cop referred to his friend partner foe as slurp tooth slurp tooth i don't remember Slurp-tooth. it's been bugging the hell out of me i don't really have a fucking good reason as to why it's been bugging me so much so but hey we are what we are i know you dudes are always mad busy like with like tons of shit so the attention is greatly appreciated take it easy so jody uh we don't remember slurp tooth but maybe one of our it's listeners
2: <laughs> yeah, someone needs to remember slurp
0: tooth <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah as it kind of goes with the motif we've been talking about today with the uh I've had a few slurp-tooth moments in my life. Yeah. I actually did a Google search for slurp-tooth. didn't come up with anything. Mostly sharp-tooth is what I came up with. All
0: right. tooth.
1: <laughs> all right, so that's the big show. Next week, uh, Catherine Billier's Romance, uh, Michael Mann's Miami Vice. Uh, hope everybody has a good week. To all our horror hound people, be safe. Enjoy. Everybody's, and thanks again for the final score. Release pending news on that coming your way. Yay. And uh, I'll say adios.
0: Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com.